Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the team house. The Ron Moeller Returns episode. Ron is our guest. I'm Jack Murphy. This is my co-host, Dave Park. Uh, Ron is joining us for the second episode. He has turned out to be a fan favorite. You're the VIP of the show. Uh, I think our most watched episode thus far. And uh, I can understand why the first one we did was fascinating. Ron uh, served in the CIA as a paramilitary operations officer for many years, spent a lot of time in Air Branch, uh, spent a lot of time deployed to Iraq, to Afghanistan, spent some time in the Philippines. Uh, and we really only scratched the surface, I felt like, in the last episode. So I asked Ron if he would come back again. I, I think some of the viewers were also very keen to see him come back uh, for a second episode. So. That's why we're here tonight, and we're going to talk quite a bit, actually, about your time in Afghanistan and Iraq and a lot of, I, th I feel like, pivotal moments in the war that you were either present for or had a bird's eye view for it. Um, I'm really excited to talk about all that. So, Ron, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's uh, great to be back. Uh, the last episode was certainly uh, educational. My son-in-law used it um, for uh, to help him write a paper at the uh, SOCOM Senior NCO Academy, and he got a 100%, which I wouldn't have expected anything less. But so he uh, he certainly appreciated it, and uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Ron, that makes me uh, so happy and so proud to hear. Um, I mean, I'm glad that he got a hundred on it on his paper. But beyond that, what one of my hopes for this live stream, for this show, for this podcast, is that what we contribute and what our guests contribute, that, that this show becomes important enough that there are journalists and students and academics out there who are like, wow, this is really important information. This is an important primary source and that they're able to quote it and use the source citations in their work. Um, so... That little story you told just makes me so happy to hear that <laughs> we're early on in, in our lifespan, I feel like, um, with this show and we're still getting started. But I, I hope, it's always been my hope that we're able to bring that sort of credibility to the table. So thanks for telling me that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. 
So, Ron, I, I was looking over and we were discussing a few bullet points, a couple different um, moments in your career that we were not able to get to on the first show. Um, and I thought maybe we'd go chronologically. Um, and also, this is interesting because you were involved in the hunt for Piffwicks, as they were called, um, in, in the Balkans back in the day. Uh, I'll let you right. hash, hash out what all of that was about. But I would just point out that this story will certainly intersect with our interview with H.K. Uh, Roy, um, you know, a CIA ops officer we interviewed a few episodes back, and he was present in Bosnia. He was the first station chief in Sarajevo. So I think that, that again, I, I hope that this show is interesting for viewers because you get to hear about these conflicts from different perspectives and different people um, and the different experiences they had. So I'm very keen to hear your point of view, Ron, and, and what you were doing over uh, in that region at the time. Well, I came into the Balkans way late. I mean, you know, H.K. Roy had already, you know, moved on, and the uh, I-4 and S-4 and whatever-4 uh, was all pretty well established. Um, but somebody uh, back at JSOC got a wild hair and decided it was pr prime time to uh, hunt for Piffwicks. So, and Piffwicks, by the way, is this tongue-twisting uh, acronym that stands for Persons Indicted for War Crimes. Mm -hmm. So, um, we were going after, uh, gosh, Slobodan Milosevic and yeah. and uh, the R uh, Radovich or Rak yeah. whatever I can't remember. The, the one that yeah, we were going after. Was after you. Yeah, all the all the high hanging fruit. Um, so we, uh, it was in coordination with JSOC. So we, we brought over, uh, the same platform that we, uh, had used in the, in the PI with, uh, Abu Sayyaf. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, Tuzla is a, a lot different and Bosnia and the Balkans is a lot different, uh, flying environment. You know, we had to stay so many kilometers away from the, uh, the river that, you know, border, you know, was the border of Serbia and Bosnia. Um, so it was, uh, exciting. Uh, the mission tasking came from from the military, and it was uh, it was it was three months of uh, eating good food and uh, being pretty bored there at the uh, at the I four S four base in uh, Tuzla at the air base there. Uh, we didn't really do much. A couple times when we did do stuff, um, it seemed like our erstwhile NATO allies had uh, you know done the little. Hey, dude, you might want to move to the next safe house because the aren't the Americans are coming for you. So um, we can never prove it, but it was always uh, always frustrating in that regard. And, and that mission didn't really last very long, but it was um, it was an interesting introduction to uh, a lot of the conventional military. We uh, had um, a lot of uh, brigade and, and battalion commanders that I later, later would run into in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, so I was able to, you know, at least establish some sort of baseline of uh, credibility, trust, bona fides, uh, pick your adjective uh, with them. So it was, um, it was good. Uh, so no, no great, you know, there we were in the shootout with Bonnie and Clyde on, on the border and, you know, and the, and the Serbs. Although, you know, a couple, you know, when we're in, I had to go to Sarajevo, you know, every so often to check in with station and, you know, fill out the, uh, the expense reports and, you know, you know, everything lives on paperwork. The, um, uh, 
Um, so we we went out for uh, for lunch, and um, and Sarajevo had sort of recovered, but a lot of the the skyscraper, the taller buildings, were still very devastated from the the Serb bombardment and things like that. But as we're walking along on the sidewalk, there are these um, these giant red splotches that have faded a little bit with the weather, but they're 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 splotches and no it's not real blood but so we're sitting down in the sidewalk cafe and and the uh you know the where it's it's a it's summer in sarajevo so and you know the bosnian girls are you know they're you know one-eyed jack muslims you know, type of thing so they're they're a little bit freer in their dress and so we're we're having a, a good two-hour lunch watching the traffic go by and I asked the uh, the proprietor, um, I say, hey, so what's with these uh, red splotches on the sidewalk? And she goes, oh, those are the Sarajevo roses. I go, well, what are those? And she says, well, that's where uh, the Serbian snipers killed our fellow citizens, and that's how we, we memorialize where they fell. Ah. Uh, so that was a little awkward, weird. But um, it was uh, – and then she added – you know, because you're kind of go, you're kind of going. Gosh, are are you guys ever going to get over this, or is this going to be one of those, you know, thousand year civil war, genocidal, you know, ethnic conflicts? And she says, "We will never forget, and we will never forgive." And I'm going, "Oh, great!" You know, I guess I, <laughs> I better find a good place to rent because my grandson's probably going to show up here. Yeah, job security. Well, what year was this? From? So yeah, uh, this was two thousand. Two two thousand two thousand three, I'm, I'm I can't recall exactly, but it was it was in the early days of the war, and for some that's why I'm saying somebody at JSOC decided to dilute the uh, the CT effort in Afghanistan. We hadn't gone into Iraq yet, and to start hunting pifwicks, and and so you know we get, when we get to the the air base, it's it's a NATO air base, so it's it's real funny, you know. We're the OGA guys. We don't exist, and this this airplane doesn't exist, and this type of thing. So we have to be really careful how we. But luckily, there's a bunch of contractors running around, so we're, we're we just blend right in with all the KBR toads and everybody else. <laughs> um, so the, uh, but uh, we're living in Saber City, which was the old uh, soft compound plywood village, if you will. And uh, we're 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 sleeping one night after a long long night of mission. It's like three in the morning, and all of a sudden it's literally like uh, you know every every there's a, a massive commotion outside. It seems like the uh, the uh, the SIF from uh, Patton Barracks or or Cassern up in Germany had showed up for a training exercise and they were bursting into my hooch and bursting into my pilot's hooch and, and my mechanic's hooch and yeah it was uh, probably not my most diplomatic with any 10th group people but uh, we worked it out <laughs> so the uh, the Green Beret the, the Special Forces uh, Commanders and Extremist Force uh, right. decided to come in R.I.P. Huh? R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they got yeah, uh, but they decided to come down and just do a training exercise on you guys. It, 
Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, the uh, the JSOC guy that was at the headquarters, Hooch. He was he was as shocked about it as we were. So, you know, left hand meet right hand. Nobody really knows what was going on, but uh, we worked it all out, and and uh, we 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 did a couple. Uh, we showed him what we could do with our platform. So, I think as I mentioned earlier, that that helped us out later when I ran into tenth group guys in in Iraq, and we were we were working in Samara and up that away. That um, they uh, they hey, I remember you. You're the guy we woke up. <laughs> so, what was the situation at that time like? I mean, was there a threat to you, or was was everything so stabilized at the point in time that the pitfork was pretty much what these guys were on the run in the wind? Yeah, right. They they were yeah. It'd be, it'd, things were pretty stabilized, although, you know, make sure you stayed on the hardball road between Tuzla and Sarajevo, right. because there were still you know mines everywhere, and and um, although I, at the halfway point there was this great mountain inn where we would always stop for uh, refreshment and a potty break, type of thing, um, it, but it was um, I mean there were still hulks of vehicles off on the uh, the side that had. You know, either been shelled or you know had run off the been run off the road or whatever. You know, so it was uh, it was one of the interesting things was though when I when I was listening to H K Roy's thing about the Iranians and and uh, yeah. meeting his Iranian LNO counterpart or however he he put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I remember talking to the JSOC guy. We were just sitting around chewing the fat and and uh, he. Uh, He'd been there off and on throughout the beginning when you know the Americans first arrived, and uh, he talked about the uh, different different soft U.S. soft forces going out into the woods, into the, where the uh, a lot of the the rat lines were for the the smuggling routes of, of weapons to, and support lines for the Serbs and and all the other bad people, and uh, they encountered a. Iranian Quds Force guys and things like that. So, you know, it's, I don't have any confirmation of it, but I, you know, it was, you know, the Iranians were not limited to the Middle East. So, HK was right, was spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they saw that as their way into Europe, essentially, the continental Europe at the time. It's um, right. pretty incredible. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ron, but it, it was a situation that, your agency was, you said the platform was providing, you know, the sort of uh, ISR intelligence and there were operators from the military side standing by to action uh, any targets you were able to find on the ground. Correct. Uh, Correct. And, and we also, and we'd also give them overwatch as they were ingressing and egressing an area because the, uh, the Serbs like to set up uh, interdictive roadblocks uh, in route to the target or returning to uh, home base. Yeah. So ISR is uh, we're over there today. Huh? Uh, ISR is intelligence <laughs> surveillance reconnaissance. That's when we say ISR, right. that's what we're talking about—a platform that can provide that. We're, we're talking about a drone. Is, yeah. is what it comes down to. Yeah. Be, but this is before drones were cool. Exactly. Uh, drones, drones were still experimental, and or not experimental, but were still the new technology, and you know nobody was quite sure. It reminded me of my early days in the Air Force when. Um, desktop computers of course they were ginormous you know the size of a volkswagen beetle uh would show up and uh, with those you know uh, 
asphyxiating dust covers that they had to put over them. And, uh, you know, all the uh, senior officers would get them and the things were just monuments to nothing because they were afraid to to utilize them. And in the meantime, the rest of us are sitting there pounding away on our selectric typewriters, trying to, trying to type stuff (laughs) going, damn it. Anybody got any more corrective tape? So, (laughs) you know, we, uh, so new technology is always, you know, it takes a while to get adapted to, but boy, it's, now that it, it's it's addictive, I mean, as I mentioned in the last broadcast, we uh, you know when the in, during Anaconda when the when single pred would show up, every everything stopped in the talk to watch pred TV. Right. It, it's it's extraordinarily addictive. It's like watching the Kardashians, but with more violence. Yeah, yeah, and it's also, I mean, the thing that every commander covets so much. I mean, it's near real time intelligence. It's like what like a five second delay or something, but. It is. It is. Doesn't get better than and that. It, it and it's and it's it's always getting better. I mean, in in 06, when I was chief of base in, in Bagram, Afghanistan, um, we had a single predator line. And that's what they called the. You know, we we had one line dedicated to ourselves. When you know, it was it was to the CJTF 76 folks, and um, but the the problem was, and it was still it was a training thing and an experiential thing. Was the operators back at Creech or wherever at Creech Air Force Base outside Las Vegas? Um, they tended to because they're 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 seeing the same thing we're seeing, and they would tend to like ooh. Bright shiny object to the left, and they they would skew the camera. And we're like, no, dude, we're really following that that vehicle or that person or that that motorcycle or whatever there on the right. So you know, and then of course you're just trying to yell at them over the over the hot mic and you know tell them where to skew the camera. No, that's it's interesting because I didn't realize that around 2002 that they tried to ramp things up in, in Bosnia. Also, I would have thought that all of that would be getting not closed down but deprioritized. Yeah, you would think so, but I mean, Kosovo was still was still going on, so I think they were trying to put it to bed. I mean, while we were there, the uh, Army National Guard switched out, and it was, I think it was Idaho National Guard showed up with a, a few of their Apaches, and so it was, you know, and and, and it's still going on. I mean, we're still we're still deploying. Uh, uh, what a battalion plus or uh, a brigade minus worth of uh, U.S. troops out there on a continuous basis. It's and also in K4 in Kosovo as well. So it's it's freaking ridiculous. Did uh, did the boys haul anyone in while you were there? We did. We did not. Like I said, a couple times we we had a we we had good indicators, good human SIGINT, and we would get overhead and we would basically surveil the location for signs of life uh you know the, of the type of person we were looking for and yep there he is you know that that one guy with the with the pompadour hairdo was he was a dead giveaway so <laughs> we would uh you know we would launch the force and you know of course it was even though it was an american operation we had to coordinate with all our nato partners and that's why we always suspected that you know somebody you know you know, got on the cell phone and called somebody, and the next thing we knew that, you know, we we're watching that guy skedaddle either across the border into Serbia, or, you know, he he disappears into the woods. So yeah, it was. Uh, we always blame the French, but they were easy to blame. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Iraq happens. Well, just the next year, and I mean, you found yourself right. there pretty quickly. It sounded like. Right. Yeah, I, it was the first of three times. I, again, I, I got there right after 
Baghdad had been occupied, captured, um, and we were flooding the zone with U.S. troops. Uh, it was uh, it was interesting. I mean, we were again because I'm in Air Branch, so I'm obviously going to be at at Biap at Baghdad International Airport, and um, we uh, we'd occupied a little niche corner of the uh, of the airfield there that was isolated enough but had access to the taxiways and runways and etc so we were good um it was interesting i mean it was um we were living in a in a in a building that was i think built by the highest bidding italian architect because i discovered that right angles are plus or minus five degrees and but the marble sure was expensive and uh we discovered uh one of the it's not so unique, you know, the uh, the gold-plated or solid gold AK-47. We found one of those, and, you know, yay. I think that's in the CIA museum, too, now. I don't So it was – but uh, it was um, – it was interesting. Primarily at that time, we were just doing logistical support to our teams that were spread out everywhere and supporting either the JSOC guys or the uh, or the conventional military. Because our big thing back then was we were still looking for weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, this is all. That's a whole other can of worms right there. I, <laughs> how did yeah. that turn out? I mean, how did that go down? Well, I don't know. I, I Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Uh, David Kay, who uh, I think succeeded, or, or knew Scott Ritter, one of your previous guests, mm-hmm. and he was also a UN inspector or something like that. A, a real nice fella. Um, him and I talked a lot because he asked me to transport him and his his inspectors to X or Y or Z, and and you know I'd, I'd pick him up in a day or two, and I say, well, he says nothing. You know, it was frustrating, but he'd been charged directly by some some senior levels in the in the Bush administration to do this. So it was, it wasn't like we could, you know, sure. you know, send the ambassador off somewhere else. We had to, we supported him, and like I said, he was a very nice fella. There was this one story that you had brought up to me that you tried to steal Uday Hussein's Porsche which would be the Porsche <laughs> that Scott Ritter talked about in yeah. his episode that yeah. Uday came hauling yeah. ass doing Tokyo Drift right by him um, during the, the 90s <laughs> when he was inspecting. And, and to be fair, to be fair, I don't think we can say that you tried to steal it. It did not have an owner. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I we I owned a, a Porsche Boxster at the time, and it was it was this was a gorgeous yellow one, and I'm and I think it was a Boxster, but it was a, I knew it was a convertible because the uh, 
the top was missing or had was had been tattered or ripped and sh- shredded. Um, but we we discovered it in uh, the uh, one of the parking lots there at the airport as we were surveying the, the the primary terminal building, which is where we were discovering that the duty free shop needed to be secured. So we we took it upon ourselves to secure as much of the liquor as we could. Um, <laughs> I mean. Uh, so, but we, uh, but in the parking lot, we discovered this, and there's a bunch of Iraqis milling around, and um, I speak enough Arabic to get in trouble. So, uh, I asked them. I said, "So, uh, wow, a Porsche?" And they they claimed it was it was Uday's. So, and, and I don't know. I I don't know if Scott described the color or not. I can't remember, but it was it was a yellow. But the uh, you know every all the instrumentation had been ripped out, and somebody had tried to do the. Uh, the gangster start, you know, do the, yeah, yeah. the on the on the, the steering the, column, the whole yeah. bit. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, it, it tore it up to shreds. So I say we tried to steal it. I mean, I it would have been great if we had some sort of like Jordan flatbed to to tow it back. And I could have my my mechanics went, hey, when you're not busy keeping the airplanes flying, here you go. Here's another project for you. <laughs> so we could have used that to tool around to the air around the airfield to meet the different because the army and the air force were on the other side of the airstrip. So it was always a long drive and I've, we might as well arrive in style that's an unceremonious end to Uday Hussein's sweet ride well he he had a lot of he had a very unceremonious end up north anyway so do, it was no wanna, big do you want to talk about no great loss you want to talk about how that sure <laughs> so so one day it's it's a it's a it's a normal brown day in in Baghdad you know it's like yeah, I mean, you guys have been there. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's another, another day in the desert, and it's it's brown, and occasionally people are mortaring you and shooting at you and things like. That. But all of a sudden, some people are scrambling around. Everything's, you know, there's there's the buzz of excitement in the air, and um, come to find out that that the tier guys, the task force guys, had had located and were in the process of schwacking the crap out of Uday and I think his brother too. Yeah, yeah, um, the three of them. So. Right. So anyway, so they, uh, so they were doing that. And, um, so, but then there was a question because the bodies were so irretrievably decimated. I mean, they literally looked like hamburger meat, ground chuck, um, that, uh, they, they weren't sure that they got the right people and they wanted to, and, um, the, um, the the special representative that from the Bush administration, the uh, Bremer, you know, he wanted to uh, make sure that everything was like that. So what they got was they got a bunch of uh, tissue samples from the from the the different corpses, and they put them in a, one of those medical transport boxes for like transplants and blood or whatever, and uh, brought it back down. As that thing is coming down, screaming on a Blackhawk. David Kay approaches me and, and explains the situation to me because he's the next senior administration guy in, in, in country after after uh, uh, Bremer, you know, the guy with the uh, blue sport jacket and the, and the desert combat boots because he was too cool for school. Um, and he says, hey, we need to do this. And, and we, we're, we're getting a plane, uh, an Air Force plane in flying into Amman and uh, they can't they can't fly into here for whatever reason again the Air Force and uh, so can how, how can we do this I go well we'll fly it you know and uh, of course so of course but my 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 crew had already flown a bunch of missions that day so you know there's always that thing about crew rest well I go explain it to the pilot and the, and the co-pilot and um, 
they they have no problem with crew rest. I mean, they're they're not under Air Force orders or Army orders or anything like that anymore. So, uh, and we uh, so we make the arrangements to uh, fly to Amman. I coordinate with um, um, the folks in Amman. Hey, we're going to fly into the airport. Make sure we get landing clearances. You know, you guys can make it happen a lot quicker than than I can from here with my limited comms. And uh, and they did, and so we we flew off, and we flew to Oman, and we uh, we turned it over, had them sign a chain of custody thing. So if it ever went to a court of law, you know, I I couldn't be held responsible for for peeing on Uday's corpse or remains or whatever. So sorry, uh, graphic, yeah, you know, contaminating the the evidence, um, and. Uh, so I asked, like, I asked the guys there, say, hey, you know, it's pretty late. We've been, we've been up busy all day. I like, started really, really early. You know, I don't think we, I don't suppose we could stay overnight at the Sheridan here in Amman and, and go back to, to Baghdad in the morning. Right. Nope, nope, nope. The, the chief wants you guys to, to go. You, you guys can't stay. You don't, you, we don't, you don't have that kind of diplomatic clearances. See, oh, that's, that's all right, when the pilot has to pull the crew rest thing, though. That's when the pilots got to play a crew rest card. Oh, and also the plane broke. Right. Plane broke. Yeah, well, that, that wouldn't be part of the Air Branch motto. We, our airplanes don't break. We, you know, we, you know, damn it, I got scotch tape and bailing wire around here somewhere. You know, we'll, we'll make it go. But anyway, so we, we at least get a, a, a squirt of fuel and uh, fill, up the, fill up the tanks, and off we go flying back to Baghdad. As we're about uh, 30, 45 minutes out out of uh, landing at Baghdad International, uh, we're talking to the control tower. Uh, there were Australians running the control tower as part of the coalition forces, and the Australians in there, you know, the Australians have such a a great way of of saying things. They uh, they explained to us that we, uh, for our own safety and health, that we uh, we needed to uh, take an unconventional approach, and you know, come in at a lot lower altitude, and um, fly uh, fly a very um, a very uh, lots of lots of hard right angle turns and things like almost like we were following a, a highway or some streets and things like that, and we were going okay. And as we're getting cl- very close to uh, the airport and we're about five minutes from from landing, and uh, we we can see Baghdad is, you know, this the city had intermittent electrical power at that time because of the the infrastructure damage but this place was lit up like um, like a fourth of july celebration or like london during the blitz because it seemed like tracers were going up every which way so i guess i guess every every mohammed and uday and you know and mahmoud or whoever grabbed their uh, ak-47 out of the out of the closet and was you know shooting off all all his ammo into the sky and which was also quite dangerous because, you know, what goes up must come down. Wait, be, but it was. Was, uh, was it because because it, uh, Uday and Kuse were killed? Is that why they were celebrating? Right. Was it the World they, Cup? they they had heard the they had heard the news, oh, even though it hadn't wow. been confirmed. Oh yeah, they were. I mean, so yeah, there was there was no love loss for the Saddam yeah. regime, but uh, it was like, really, people? Can you can you like maybe just you know dance and clap and cheer, but you have to shoot every gun off, type of thing? It was uh, that was a little. That was, I think that was about the dangerous time, I, most dangerous time I ever had in an airplane with Air Branch. <laughs> it, was like, it was like I'm going to get shot World down Cup by celebratory fire. Yeah, it was like that during the World Cup too. It was it was insane during the World Cup when Iraq would win a game. And, I mean, it, 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 it did. It, it looked like, you know. 
World War II. So yeah, it was, it was, it was exciting. I mean, you know, I flying, um, you know, to the um, from from the airport over to uh, the U.S. compound over in downtown Baghdad there, and I'm temporarily having a brain brain fade. I can't remember what we used to call it the uh, the zone the the green zone. That's it, and. Um, we were flying over, and we're just sort of tootling along, flying over the Stinky River and things like that. And I'm looking out, out of the side of the helicopter, and uh, and there is literally like right out of the old DIA fact book, which used to have – it was like a, the Sears catalog of Soviet weapon systems. There is a, a gorgeous SA-2 sitting on a launcher – missile with his fan song radar partner in the middle of a residential street and i'm going oh so not that i don't think it was plugged in and, and operating but i think that that's where they they were trying to disperse some of their uh, weapons before we rolled into baghdad but it was just kind of like wow so that stuff really does look like that up close so it was it was a little funny surreal yeah it was surreal so it was, yeah, Baghdad was weird that time. I mean, we would, um, so, uh, you know, once, by the time I got there, about a month into my, my three-plus-month first trip there, the, uh, the Washington VIP started arriving because, you know, War Tourista gets you, I don't know, double passports, green stamps or something like that. I'm not sure. And um, <clears throat> we had a... Uh, Buzzy Krongard show up. He was at the time the executive director of the agency. It's a position that doesn't exist anymore. He he'd convinced Director Tennant that he uh, he could be like the, um, the 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 chief operating officer of the agency while while Tennant did his thing with at the White House and with the congressional leadership and things like that. So so Buzzy shows up and and he's a multimillionaire Baltimore investment banker and things like that. And he gets off the airplane and uh, he's we're, he's wearing a safari bush jacket and uh, thing and he immediately wants me to issue him a weapon and, and go out on patrol somewhere cuz he wants to hunt hajis. I'm good. Yeah, no, uh, that's not going to happen, boss. Uh, by the way, let me introduce you to the chief of station and so on and so forth. Uh, but it was, uh, he was really frustrated. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he, afterwards, he, he, he stopped me. He was frustrated because he, he stopped me. go out? Oh, sorry. Yeah, he was, you know, Buzzy always, uh, postured himself as a man's man and he uh, always you know he would always you know thump his chest and try to you know like let's do push-up contests and and i mean that sort of an, that sort of an attitude yeah it was because he 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 felt and i don't know it was like his midlife crisis late in life or something like that but uh after one conversation we had in at the uh, at the little bar we had there in the uh, in the building is um he's asking me how things are going and by this time we'd been up and down route irish and and tooling around and you know done the tourista pictures under the under the cross swords and things like that and um i said well you know <laughs> The Iraqis aren't getting the people aren't getting the word. They don't know what's going on. So the only people telling them are the bad guys who are out in the in the souks in the marketplaces on the streets, spreading rumors and 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 bad news. And it's you know we're losing that fight. And he looked at me like I had a dick grown out of my forehead. So I'm not quite sure what was what was the problem. But you know. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. By the time I came back the next time, the uh, the insurgency was just, just starting to really get going in full bore. It was, uh, it was bad. I mean, Bremer had made some pretty terrible decisions. Uh, disestablishing the Bath Party, which was one, and then, and then, you know, telling the uh, the Iraqi army who had all basically gone home they'd taken their bat and ball and gone home but the US was still paying their salaries so i mean it's good work if you can get it i you know i can be an, i can be an iraqi soldier and i don't have to do anything well bremer cut off their paycheck so you know like gosh what am i going to do now i know i'm going to get mad at the people who cut off my paycheck and i have skills and there are people around here that could utilize my skills so we really we really f that up a whole lot yeah that is for sure um let's get some real questions real quick we got a couple sure. questions for you i think uh, uh first off welcome everybody i know jack already walking in but thanks for joining us um so andrew andrew dunbar uh jack and dave are creating a repository of oral history meanwhile i am asking serious people Dumb questions about giraffe prices only in America. Uh, Andrew, I, I don't. That's an important part of American history. The giraffe stuff. Yeah. That that was the JT Patton episode. Yeah, but but he's Andrew's criticizing himself for asking questions about giraffes. But I, I, I it's one of those questions I didn't know how much I wanted to know that a giraffe sold for until he asked it. Yeah. And then I, I really wanted to know. Yeah. I, I think inquiring mind wants, wants to know. Um, well, if it's the giraffe in the Skittle commercial, then I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, Ron, did you ever run into uh, the perfumed prince, AKA general Wesley Clark? And were you there uh, when the Pristina incident happened? Uh, wow. Well, <laughs> Yes and no. I was I was not in Pristina. Um, prior, as I as I told you in the last episode, prior to uh, uh, going to Air Branch, I was in the Office of Military Affairs and and working in their exercise shop. And one of the things, um, one of the exercises I got to participate in was in, in Kaiserslaut in Germany at the uh, uh, U.S. European Command's Warrior Prep Center, which was a uh, a built or a, a buildings set of buildings that have been reconfigured for uh, simulation exercises, uh, command post exercises, that sort of thing. And General Clark had gotten into his his pea brain that he wanted to uh, invade uh, Montenegro. So uh, he, um, you know, he uh, decided that we were gonna we were gonna war sand table this or war, war game it if you will at the at the warrior prep center at first and um 
he gave us his commander's intent and guidance and you know he you know, I'm, I'm thinking oh lord everybody wants to be everybody wants to be lord nelson napoleon bonaparte type of thing i mean the way he was he was strutting and posturing and you know it's like really i mean macarthur did it really well gregory peck did it even better in the movie but dude you're you just don't you can't carry the tune but anyway so we we're all putting it together um as the exercise guy running for the agency, I uh, I went and got a guy uh, from the from the um, the Balkans uh, shop to come in, and he had a lot of uh, experience. And one of the things when we got together and we were putting together the plan, uh, the uh, he, uh, he he talked about how the uh, the Montenegrins. Um, they were the super Serbs. They make the Serbs look like pussies. I mean, they're the ones that the Ottomans never could could really defeat. And um, as we were putting the plan together, it was um, well. I'm glad it was never executed because they were going to drop uh, at least a battalion, maybe two of uh, and the 173rd guys into uh, Pristina. That's the capital of Montenegro, and uh, it sits in a bowl. And the Montenegrins had AAA sites on all sides of the of the of the upslope on the valley, so the the C-130s would have basically been, you know, flying through crossfire, and we w- we would have lost a lot of good people and a lot of good airplanes and things like that. In the meantime, the Marines were going to do uh, uh, over the uh, a landing, and then advance along in toward along a, a single threaded line route or. LOC line of communication route into Pristina. Um, this route was uh, uh, un- flanked on either sides by uh, some bodies of water, and um, so they were basically going to be single filed. And it was like, you know, even Ray Charles with an old World War II cannon is going to be able to knock you guys out, and then you're going to. I mean, it's like, has anybody seen the movie A Bridge Too Far? You know, it's like the single line of, of advance is not a good thing. So uh, it, we pointed all this out. Um, General Clark and his his um, syncophatic staff were not too happy with that. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, we uh, like I said, I I went back to the agency and I said we are not going to do this. And and the and the officer I'd brought with from the uh, from the Balkans area, he uh, he was even less diplomatic than I was to his bosses and to the chiefs of station there throughout the Balkans. What, what so. was the, the rationale for this proposed operation? You know, it never really, never really came out. I, it, I mean, for some reason, the, the Montenegrins weren't, I don't know, jumping into bed with us. And, mm-hmm. and it was, they were sort of the outliers. They were, they were allied with the Serbs, but they were independent. They were doing their own thing. And, you know, so we, we were going to, you know, I don't know, Clark thought he, he, he needed to show somebody a lesson and they were going to be an object lesson. He thought it was going to be an easy nut to crack. And um, it turned out not to be so. And thank goodness we, we didn't do that. And I believe now they're members of NATO. So, you know, small favors. Yeah. Vasilis Kronopoulos. It's my friend. That's, uh, that's Bill. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, he just said, yo, team house. <laughs> or is it, yo, team house? You have to say, you have to say it with a Greek accent. I, 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 go ahead. Yeah, team house. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, let's see if there's anything else there. I heard it was called crack for generals. 
Jack, can we please, please get some more Samurai Pencott swag? I can work on it. Okay. So, Ron, let's uh, transition, if we can, over to uh, Afghanistan, because when we were talking a little bit earlier about some of your, you know, multiple deployments to Afghanistan, um, there's some things I didn't realize that you had a, a pretty unique perspective on some pretty major events that happened over there. Um, one of them was when our base, uh, I don't know if you guys can, if you can say the, the name of it, but when Fop Chapman got blown up and, uh, and cowsed. Uh, that was a pretty significant event, major event for the CIA lost. How many people were lost in that attack? Seven? I believe so, yes, and a lot of, a lot of critically wounded as well. Mm. And, and how, did, well, how did you intersect with that event? Well, I, uh, fortunately, I, um, I was not in, in country at the time. However, I had, um, before... Um, I had recently attended the Chief of Station Seminar, which is a, uh, I, I think they put it on three or four times a year. It's to train the uh, outgoing chiefs of base, chiefs of station, everybody from Chief of Station Moscow to, you know, lowly Chief of Station Bagram or, or where else. And, and I had been slated to go to another Chief of Base assignment. Um, and one of my classmates was... Uh, was Jen Matthews, the, uh, the, the, the now deceased chief of base of, of, of coast coast. Um, we always called it coast. Um, so anyway, so, uh, and she was a brilliant, brilliant, smart person, um, as regard to the, the Al Qaeda target set, uh, the Haqqani set. And, um, but she was, um, uh, nervous is maybe too strong, and and I want to say up front, right before I get too much further, that I have, this is not to denigrate her and and her sacrifice and the sacrifice of the others, but it it just it goes to something that I'd been worried about starting at about that point in time and continue to my last trip out there into thirteen was that the agency was looking around, going, hey you you've never gone, you go. And but these people, these people weren't as well qualified as as they needed to be or should have been. And now Jen, on paper, was was extraordinarily well qualified. I mean, she knew the target set, but managing a base in a war zone, especially coast at the forward edge of the battlefield. I mean, they were directly opposite the Haqqanis in, in Miram Shah, and you know they were they were fighting a lot of twilight battles. I mean, the, the old Coast Protection Force, which was probably the most awesomest OGA paramilitary force um, that we had. You know, I mean, they were going, they were giving the Haqqanis as good as they got. And in fact, the Haqqanis, I think, were losing more than they were winning against the uh, KPF guys. But Jen sat next to me and goes, hey, you've got a lot of Afghan experience, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she's, I'm really nervous, you know, so I'm, I'm really worried about the ground branch guys. Are, are they going to be a problem? I go, well, what do you mean a problem? Well, are they just going to run off and do their own thing? I go, yeah, no. In fact, the opposite. These guys are, I mean, a lot of these guys, especially the contractors, they, they seem to rotate, you know, 
like a like an old navy submarine crew a blue blue goal they 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 do uh, you know three months in three months out and then they just you know it keeps going like that they have a lot of and i told her they these guys have a lot of area knowledge a lot of they they know the different personalities not only the the uh, the local on at the base but with the u.s military down the road there at, at um, um gosh what was that Salerno, yes, always, always, always forget it because it was always underwater whenever I would show up there, I was there after a rainstorm. Months, way back when. <laughs> so the uh, so you know I tried to reassure about both the ground branch officers and the um, the GRS the, uh, the the security folks the the global response staff which was our security force which is both uh, staff officers and uh, and contractors um, to do it. I. I you know, we we had multiple conversations on this, trying to, you know, get her comfortable with working with SOG people and GRS people. Um, I mean, she came from a um, a, a a staff position in, in CTC, and she'd done a a, a European um, PCS um, assignment there in Europe. So, you know, that's a totally different. Um, leopard, you know, different whole different bunch of spots there. And from everything, you know, you learn after the fact, the way she, uh, you know, uh, negated what her chief of security told her, what the ground branch guys told her about bringing the, uh, the bad guy, you know, directly into the post without any sort of searching and things like that, um, which violated a, a bunch of tenants. I mean, you try to drive onto the station in Kabul, I don't care who you are, you're going to go through, you know, lots of different checks and things like that. So, um, you know, it just, it just seemed like, you know, I, I go, I, I don't want to say I blame myself, but I like, I, you know, I got really mad because I, I told her, I said, you know, you need to trust this, but then Follow, you know, going uh, out a couple more years later, I, I was invited to sit in on, um, in uh, a review of the act, after action review or, or the incident report, the investigation that the agency had done. So a bunch of us people show up and it's, hey, I haven't seen you since you know 2001, 2002, and so we all go into this room, and uh, we we sit down and the um, the 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 uh, the lady the senior officer there she she sits she stands up and says okay we're gonna we're gonna go over this but there will be no criticism of any agency officer or 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 office and so of course being the stupid ass that I am I I go so if we happen to you know even if X Y Z station made a made a major boo boo made a mistake. We can't acknowledge that, or, or, and the report doesn't even acknowledge that. And she just looked at me and says, "What part oh, about not criticizing anything? Don't you understand?" I'm yeah, like, "Oh my god!" So I'm going, "You know, this is this is going to be educational." And this, I, they, they brought you in had, for to to um, help put together the after action review. Was that the point of it? No, it was. It had already been done. We were okay, just there okay. to receive it, and and. Gotcha. Uh, it, basically, it just it came away as um, you know, shit happened, and there's nothing that w- none of us could have done and, and yeah, foreseen yeah. it. And every everybody, you know, everybody gets a gold star, and and um, 
No accountability. And we, we mourned those we lost. No accountability. And and nobody nobody paid the price. I, I mean it was a it was a a lot it was almost like the perfect storm. Um the uh the chief of station had just arrived in country maybe less than a week before, so and and thank goodness he had been there one this was his second tour as chief of station. So he um he was able to uh you know, rapidly fly out there and, you know, he was able to get the people, you know, squared away and, and, uh, things like that. Cause the previous chief of station who let, let a lot of this stuff go or had approved a lot of the planning, um, he would have been absolutely the wrong person. Those people would have fallen apart. And, uh, and then other stations through, you know, in the region as well as, um, elsewhere in the, in the, in the greater this neighborhood, if you will, uh, Europe, um, they, uh, you know, everybody was, I think everybody was so excited about this asset or yeah. what it, what he represented that we, we failed to do our, our due diligence and, and ask the right questions. Everybody was like, Ooh, Ooh, it's, it's the golden goose. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we, we got it. And it Which was is always when you, I would think you would be a little skeptical that you're getting baited into some sort of an ambush if it, if it sounds too good to be true. Well, <laughs> yeah. I say that with it's, hindsight, of course. I, I'm I'm here, you know, all these years later, saying that I understand. Right, and I understand it too. But I, you know, I've always had a healthy dose of skepticism, and as you say, if it's too good to be true, and plus, you know. Like I said in the last broadcast, I'm married to a counterintelligence officer, so uh, you know I've I've learned to be quite skeptical. So you know our kids really had a hell of a time growing up because we never let them get away with anything. Um, but the uh, but you know there was this guy would violate the, the the potential asset the the person that killed everybody. He uh, I mean he he failed so many operational tests and and he uh, failed to uh, adhere to some security checks and and protocols that for anybody else he would have he would have been dropped like a hot potato. But because he he offered, you know, uh, you know, I can get you to the to the inner sanctum of the, of the of the Hakanis that everybody like well he he can't he can't give us that because that'll ruin his you know his his security with the hakanis and things like that. so i mean they played us and they played us really really well and and we paid the price and the and the bad thing is is i'm not sure that we we truly really learned the lessons that we needed to because as you pointed out jack that nobody got held accountable and, and your your point is that the after action review also did it, it just kind of chalked it up to an act of God that it, it, this sort of event just happened that there wasn't a cause and effect involved. Pretty exact, pretty much right. You know, and, and, and those seven, you know, Americans lost their lives and, and, you know, and, and all that could have been prevented. And it was, um, it's terrible, just terrible. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, but from there, um, some of your deployments to uh, Bagram, you, you were telling us how you had kind of, a, I, I don't know, I mean, I guess all of your time over there was unconventional, so to speak, but that it wasn't a traditional agency posting, that you, you were doing some fairly irregular things that maybe some of the other people in country weren't able to do. 
Right. Yep. So, so Bagram base was a, was a unique base in the, in the Afghan theater. Um, of course the agency has its station and then they have other bases throughout Southern and, and Eastern Afghanistan. And all these bases have a, have a counter terrorist and an Intel collection mission. Um, Bagram base was, was a little bit different. It had started out as a, uh, as an OMA office of military affairs liaison post, but as uh, Bagram became the uh, the headshed for U.S. forces in uh, in Afghanistan, the establishment of the of the BTIC, the the Bagram Theater Internment Facility or BTIF, um, and uh, the the Siege of Sodaf guys headquartering there as well, and the task force guys, it became more of a a, a base, and with some limited collection in the uh, with the uh, detainees in the in the BTIF, and uh, so. It gets advertised, and, and I'm reading the advertisement. I'm going, yeah, I can do all this. So I apply, and I get selected, and, and uh, off I go. And um, luckily, the uh, the chief, who uh, happened to be the same chief that had just taken over during the coast, uh, when the coast bombing happened, uh, was there. And, of course, I meet him because I'm the outgoing subordinate commander if you will and and um you know i've got to get my commander's intent and you know like you know what do i do boss what are my left and right limits you know where's the touchdown zone what what do i need to do to get at least a a survivable fit rep at the end of this tour and uh (laughs) not that i was worried i mean you know but uh he looked at me and he uh you know the normal platitudes you know how's the wife how's the kids blah 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 he says I need you to make sure that there is zero daylight between what we're doing, what the agency's efforts are doing with our, our, our counter-terrorist pursuit teams out there and our collection assets um, and, the, and the U.S. military. And he didn't further define the U.S. military. So that included both the conventional folks, the, uh, the Siege of Sodaf, the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Afghanistan, and the task force guys, the, the JSOC guys that were there. So I had basically three accounts that I was had to had to manage, massage, and and make nice nice with. My uh, the person I was relieving came up to uh, Kabul to meet me. Uh, great great officer. Um, I owe a lot of my success that year, that the year I served there in Bagram, to, to him. I, I always I told people he uh, he he poured the foundation and framed the house, and all I did was put up some drywall and made it look made it look pretty. But he he did a lot of a lot of good work for me, and and uh, I always appreciated that. Um, and if he's listening, uh, see, I told you I'd say that in public. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, but anyway, so I get there. And um, the old army unit is, is still present, and they haven't quite ripped out yet. And, well, they're in the process of changing over. It was uh, CTAF, the old so- Southern European uh, Airborne Task Force guys out of uh, out of Vicenza, before they became the 173rd and everything like that. And it was um, a General Camilla. And so he would come to the morning update, and I, I observed this for two, at least two weeks, and of course my predecessor at he told me he this was his entire year's experience. Camille would get the update and then retreat, not retire, but retreat to his office and close the door, and you wouldn't see him again until the evening update. And 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 getting access to him was extraordinarily difficult to uh, you know talk about anything. Our primary point of contact at that time was a uh, up and coming army colonel by the name of uh, Bill Mayville, 
who later went on to command the 173rd that did the the extraordinary combat jump there into uh, Kurdistan. <laughs> sorry, and uh, and he and he went. Yeah, sorry. I I I love Bill. He's he's a he's a good people and everything like that. But you know, I I always I got to rib him on that. But and and uh, you know, and I intersected with him at other points. You know, on other trips to uh, Afghanistan when he was in the 82nd, and and then later at the Pentagon when he was uh, on the Joint Staff. But uh, so and and Mayville was a was a good guy, and one of his, his and the deputy. Uh, Dep- you know, the the, uh, the J3 was a guy who uh, went on to command uh, the 173rd um, also, or uh, or one of the battalions, or anyways. And he he got he got wrapped up in a lot of bad stuff, so he uh, he didn't last long. But uh, anyway, so uh, in in a commander's update brief for people listening, you you are where you sit. So if obviously the, the general, the principal, he sits at the head of the table, and his immediate deputies sit on either side of him. It's 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 very it's very much like the royal it's, court. It's like a bunch of sixteen-year-old girls in the cafeteria in high school. Yes, yes, and I wasn't one of the mean girls, so I didn't I didn't belong. <laughs> so the uh, so, and then all the other, you know. Staff codes, the 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 intel, the ops, the plans, whatever the, they all sit around the table. We were relegated to the uh, the side side chairs along along the wall. So basically, we had to do the little prairie dog pop up to uh, get our attention, get the general's attention when we wanted to input. And of course, my predecessor, his input was whenever they would go once around the world, nothing to add, nothing to nothing to say, and I'm going. Well, that's crazy. You know, why am I wasting two hours of my life here in the morning if I've got nothing to add? Because I, I'm sure I do. But that it was still his his base, and and I was just transitioning. So uh, two week transition time goes through, and um, he, uh, the chief of station, comes up and gives me the once over and says, you know, gives me the. Uh, and says you're you're good to go, <laughs> and he takes my predecessor with him on the airplane back to Kabul, and and that's it. So suddenly I'm going, oh shit! Now what do I do? So um, in the meantime, the Tenth Mountain guys are are ripping in, and um, so it's uh, it's a totally different uh, dynamic. They're uh, they're energetic. They're um, they they spent over a year and a half at Fort Drum training for this uh, assignment, so they were extraordinarily well prepared. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, so uh, Mayville and and the uh, and uh, all the his uh, his senior colonel staff, all his S codes or J codes or whatever codes they were, they uh, they all got kicked out of the hooches by their tenth mountain replacements. He had nowhere to stay. Well, Bagram Base, we we had a pretty large facility and not very many people. So I said, you can stay with us. So. Mayville always appreciated that because he had his own room with his own shower and everything like that. So it was, it was a good deal, good deal for all of them. And they were still close enough to the headquarters building or the hangar with the the headquarters building built inside of it that they, they weren't that far away. Anyways, so uh, the um, 
so the CTAF guys eventually all leave, and it's just the 10th Mountain guys. And I'm still now I'm all by myself, and I'm sitting along the along the the side, and um, I meet the J2 for the first time, and and him and I have become extraordinary, very good friends, and 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 it's a, a sad shame that the Army didn't promote him to general when it was uh, they had that opportunity because they'd rather promote SIGINT people than uh, you know combat intel officers. But he was he was um, he jumped into Panama as a as a young lieutenant in the Ranger Ranger Bat uh, as the uh, as the assistant S two, uh, and I understand that the S two got injured, so he suddenly you know lieutenant you're the you're the battalion S two don't fuck right. it up, and <laughs> and he did great, and he did great, and if you're listening Mo, you know thank you. So anyways the uh, uh, so I meet Mo and. and Mo had spent a lot of time with the Rangers in in Iraq and elsewhere, so he had some inter interactions with the agency in the past, which I I discovered and shocked me is that not everybody loves us. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was shocked, and he uh, he goes. And he's he, he's very busy shuffling papers and 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 I'm trying to block his way because I want to like dude I'm your I'm your I'm your guy I'm your counterpart here you know help you know let, come on let's let's work together on this he says you know I don't have a very good opinion of you guys I'm like oh God you know you know <laughs> it's going to be a hard it's going to be a hard target recruitment I mean KGB <laughs> guys would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> So it was. But anyways, we we ended up working it out, and um, and he uh, he pulled me aside. And he says, "Hey, you know, you 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 got to get to the table. You got to get a, a seat at the table, and um, and the only way you're going to do that is if you if you start sharing stuff." So I started looking for stuff to bring to the morning meeting that I could reasonably share without violating sources and methods and um, things things that would contribute to to their mission and um, not uh, in, impede ours or, or anything like that, but to, to show I was willing to, to give them something. And um, I got to sit at the table. Ooh, you know, Mikey got to sit somebody, at the big table. Did they have to kick somebody out of the table to get you there? Or did they just who, did people what, just scoot over? chair did you steal? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember, but I know that the chief of staff, he he had a lot of fun rearranging the uh, the seating assignments. And, and uh, somehow my seat kept migrating closer and closer to the head of the table. So it's like I must have been doing something right. And, um, in fact, it, towards, uh, you know, after a couple months um, – so after these normal briefs with the, 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 the entire staff and the, and the peanut gallery filled with important or self-important people, uh, the briefing would conclude and everybody would be dismissed. The general a lot of times would ask for his inner circle to stick around, which would be the, the, the deputy commanding general for operations and for support, the, the two and the three, the, the intel chief and the ops chief, maybe the uh, – Ops plans or or foo plans, foo ops guy, future operations, future plans, and me. So, boy, that was a fun little email to send to the chief of station saying, "You'll never guess where I'm at." You know, like so. I'm I'm, I'm trying to let him know that I'm doing a good job. I'm adhering to his commander's intent. Um, so it was pretty cool, and. Because of my sharing, and I would be sharing stuff like, hey, you know, our guys at down in Shkin are reporting X, Y, Z, and, and the guys over at, uh, you know, uh, 
Organi are reporting this and dies down in Kandahar, that, so on and so forth. So they say, hey, you know, I'm taking a, a battlefield circulation trip in that way. You know, why don't you come along and you can introduce me to your, your counterpart there at Asadabad or Jalalabad or, or, or you know, coast and or wherever. And, and, um, and, you know, so I said, yeah, great. So I would send them a little saying, hey, hey, we're coming out. I'm coming in, in the general's Blackhawk. And he'd like to meet you and just kind of get a, you know, a five-minute, you know, data dump of what you can tell them and, you know, and things like that. Here's what I've told him, you know, already so you don't, you don't bore him with re- repetition, even though he is a general. He probably needs some repetition. But uh, the uh, – sorry. <laughs> the um, – so, anyways, yeah, it worked out really well. So I, uh, I got to go to a lot of places that OGA guys never got to see, except read and read about it in books and things like that. Um, got to go up to uh, Cop Keating, that, um, which was the the cop that got pretty much overrun by the enemy. Uh, I think a just, year or two it, later, it was like incompetently planned where the fob was built. Oh. <laughs> We uh we flew in on the Blackhawk and and literally you you got to fly from Asadabad and you're you're following one river and it's 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 basically like like doing a a slalom course in a, in a Blackhawk you're you're veering from canyon wall to canyon wall it's it's you know thank God I didn't get airsick and then then you uh, you're flying up kind of to the north northeast and then you hang a hard left and you're going pretty much straight west to uh, Keating along another river valley and and again you're you know, you're looking out, and you're you're seeing the little villages, you know, basically hanging on by their fingernails along the mountainsides along yeah, the yeah. river. There's a, a a POS road. POS for those listening is a piece of shit road. And um, so, yeah, well, Dave always explains the acronyms. I figure I need to as well. <laughs> well, and, it's one of those roads is basically hand carved yeah. out of a mountainside, right? Oh. And, exactly. And like, exactly. When they, take those, when they take like the Jenga trucks or the buses down them, they have to do about a sixteen-point turn. You got a guy in the back that's hard chocking it when it backs up so that it doesn't go too far. I, I've been in some of those right. slot canyons where it's like, like you said, either somebody took a pickaxe and maybe like a hundred years ago they actually got a hold of dynamite, yeah. and blew it wide enough to drive a Hilux through. But I mean, yeah. And so. Oh, yeah. And. And in the springtime, of course, the floods would always wash out parts of the road too. So it always, you know, it was yeah. it was a never-ending battle to keep I'm, land I'm transportation going. Keating. What like what area was that in? What was the strategic importance of it? What was the idea behind behind it? Well, it was up in it was up in the middle of God knows where Nuristan, and um, it was uh, the strategic value was. Uh, you know, if I if I yeah, at the time it sounded really great and everybody everybody was on board with it. Of course, looking back on it now, you kind of go, we were were we really that stupid? The uh, the strategic intent was to uh, to constantly put these little ink spots or 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 uh, places where the ANA and and coalition forces could then extend their influence out and basically push push the bad guys out. And so we were trying to get it right. And this was in the middle of a, a heavily, according to the intelligence at the time, heavily infested area of, uh, of Taliban and Al-Qaeda and all sorts of bad people. So 
of course, once I once I saw that, I go, you know what? They can have this because they're. I know they're they're physically fit and they can they can hike like like nobody's mother. But good lord, it's going to take them at least a few days to get anywhere to do anything. And so, but yeah, so we. Uh, we flew into Keating, and the the Blackhawk had to land on a, on a gravel bar in the river where when the water was low, and uh, we observed the base. And I basically got a neck ache from looking up everywhere around me, and they pointed out where where the Overwatch OP was, and <laughs> how do you get there? We walk, and I go, Jesus, you know, I mean the 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 the, the slope must have been I don't know. 30 degrees it was uh, you know and then of course you know u.s soldiers are carrying you know yeah. you know body armor and you know their basic kit and oh geez you know it's like guys can't get a blackhawk to do an elevator lift for you you know they go, yeah no because people shoot at us so and then of course you know the rest is history i mean jake tapper's book the outpost is is actually a, a pretty good you know overall you know view of what what happened and things like that and the bravery that the u.s soldiers displayed that day and i mean yeah it was but yeah keating was was interesting and what i would do after these things is i would i would write a little report to the uh, to the station and and then i would send email copies to uh and then not a not a formal report like a cable, but just an email to to uh, my boss at the at the station who was the chief of ops, and he and info the chief of station, and I'd send it to uh, various offices in, in headquarters, you know, CTC and and the uh, and the people in the uh, conventional uh, ops division dealing with Afghanistan and the uh, analyst people as well, because to give them a sense, you know, I you know, it was it wasn't a a, a, a well scripted intel report or anything i was like hey i flew here this is what i observed these are my concerns these are these are some of the good things you know this is how maybe we can help support them things like that and in fact at one time they were thinking of opening up uh, i think dave you mentioned falcon earlier um falcon base earlier and or to later earlier today anyways so falcon base was another base that was a was created and at one time they thought they could establish falcon base co-located there with keating and uh so i had to i I brought the guys up there and uh we landed in a 47 and we had to unload everything and yeah it goes back to my earlier comment about selecting the right people for the job he they none of them none of them lasted very long and uh we had to Re- uh, evacuate them after about a week, and then they established Falcon, where where it was finally established afterward. And after that, which was much much closer to uh, the target sets that they they determined they wanted to go after. So, wow! I mean, it's just uh, insane to hear you know straight from you how all this stuff kind of shook out. I mean, and, and I want to ask in the aftermath of the attack uh, on Keating, I mean. What were the findings from that? Um, if you were present for you know the development of some of those AAR bullets, um, and, and whether or not it was a whitewash like Chapman was, I don't think it was. I, I um, and I wasn't I wasn't asked to participate in the AAR, or I wasn't interviewed or anything like that. And uh, and and I haven't read Tapper's book in a while, so I'm I, I don't remember what the what the AAR reporting said or anything like that, but um, 
I don't think anybody got severely punished. I mean, everybody tried to do a good job. I mean, the reasoning at the time, I mean, looking back at it now, what, 10, 12 years later, the, the reasoning then was legitimate. I, and according to all, we all felt it was legitimate. But now looking back on it, we kind of go, really? I, you know, it's like the, inv- the, you know, the invasion uh, in World War II of a couple of the islands. We really didn't need to do it, but we had the Marines floating around there. We needed right. to do them something with them, I guess. So, um, so yeah, that's not to, that's not to denigrate the the sacrifice or the, anything like that. But it was, it was a good effort. the The problem was, while we could sustain it as as the U.S. Army as the as the United States of America, you know, the A and A it was it was multiple bridges too far. They they there was no way they were going to sustain that or even participate in it with any sense of active participation. And just to back up a moment, or not necessarily back up, we're kind of right smack dab in the middle of it, so maybe it's a good time to, to mention this. I was just wondering if you could talk about the relationship, um, the, the liaisons, because you were talking about how your job was to make sure there wasn't any daylight between the agency endeavor and the U.S. military. And on the U.S. side, you got to juggle, you know, the prima donna, soft guys, and, and the conventional guys, and then also, you know, the agency has their agenda, which is, you know, strategic intelligence. The military likes to go out there and blow things up and, and do kinetic operations. And the agency also had, they had their ninjas on the ground too. But um, right. I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit about how you kind of like juggled all these balls and maintained those relationships um, and, and deconflicted. Because I think it's just very interesting that you have these two institutions that they're, they're their, their mission statements are just very different. And from what you were telling me, it, it kind of worked in this situation because of your personality and this guy, Mo, you were able to form a friendship. And it just speaks to the fact that uh, literally the strategic success or failure hinges on the personalities and whether or not they, they were able to mesh together. <laughs> right. Had you guys hated each other's guts, I mean, there, there really could have been strategic implications um, from from those kinds of lack of coordination. Yeah, exactly. You're you're absolutely right. And and once I'd established that relationship with Mo, you know, then it was uh, Mike Koss who was the, who was the uh, the three, and uh, Kurt Vanderstein who was uh, who'd come over from the uh, Command and Staff College uh, to uh, work uh, uh, in the plans in the Intel Plans section, uh, and a bunch of other great American officers who mm-hmm. I could be here like the Academy Awards and I could thank everybody, <laughs> but they were they were but seriously they were all you know they were all good people and um, I really uh, and as I told uh, visiting congressional delegations and staff delegations that. In my guesstimation, um, the uh, the 10th Mountain team, they, they brought over 3rd Brigade, Spartan Brigade, headed by then Colonel John Nicholson, and then his their headquarters. They had really formed a, a – they were like a, a ginormous ODA. They, uh, they really went out and, and were trying to work it hard. Uh, from a from that sort of from a from a FID internal defense unconventional warfare, you know you know get the population off the fence and onto your side type of thing. Um, I was always I was always really impressed with that. Um, Major General Frakely, who uh, retired as a three star out of a Sessions Command out of Fort Knox, um, he was the, he was the CG. Uh, he he did a tremendous job. He uh, he he. He expressed a lot of confidence uh, in his staff. He, he, he showed that he, he picked the right people. Um, one of the first things he did after he um, 
assumed a responsibility, not a command, but assumed responsibility for the CJTF was he hosted a luncheon for all the um, all the players and there in his little general officer's dining room, which was no better than the regular defect, but it was cool. We actually had linen, so it was it was neat. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so you know there was. Uh, there was uh, Colonel La Camera from uh, the task force, mm-hmm. and uh, so and then uh, uh, Ed Reader from uh, Seventh Group, and uh, so it was you know a bunch of people. So it was an opportunity to meet them, and and uh, you know Ed Ed Reader was you know I was <laughs> I love Ed, and and uh, he uh, he's a tremendous American, you know, great Special Forces officer, yeah. 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 But uh, we was we was behind his back. We'd never say to his front because he'd he'd rip he'd rip your face off. Is we always called him Silverback because he always reminded us of that old Far Side cartoon where uh, all the young gorillas are in the gym class and uh, the one kid's already a Silverback, you know, type of thing. So he was he was that big of a guy, and so he was. But you know, you ask the question, how do how do you do it? Well. I'd worked with the different ODAs from all the different groups in, in Iraq prior to that. And so, you know, one of the things I've, I learned early on is, um, is to talk to them, is to them being your, your audience, your military audience. You've got to speak their specific language. So, if I'm talking to uh, an, uh, special forces guys, you know, I'm not going to go in there and you know, I can I can be all you know agency you know er, 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 type Maybe stuff, but I'm going to go. Brethren, let us have a meeting today. Yeah, no, I, I go in. I say, I go in and uh, I'll say, so who's the two? Okay, so I'm I'm kind of speaking militarese. I say, so uh, who are your where are your eighteen foxes hanging out and things like that. So you know, you start. Oh, you know a little bit about the way we're structured and how we do things and you know stuff like that. So you know, it's it's. You know, I've, I was asked several times at the agency later on to, you know, like, I don't know, bottle this recipe for success and pass it out. And it, it's it's just really hard to do if you, you know, because a lot of agency guys are like, well, <clears throat> you know, we're we're Title 50 guys, you know, we, we don't have to answer to anybody, you know. And they're trenched and in fedora. Yeah, the the green door syndrome, yeah, behind the green door, you know, and and no Maryland Chambers did not live back there, so um, the, uh, but it was, uh, yeah, I I I approached it from the from the uh, aspect that my uh, my children were were both in the in the in the military at the time. My daughter was a corpsman. Um, who later ended up going to Kuwait and Iraq, and my son at the time, before he he saw the light and joined the army, he uh, he was he was a he was a sailor. He was on a frigate, and he was actually deployed. So we would actually communicate via Cipernet, which I thought was always kind of cool. So he was somewhere in the Arabian Gulf, and I was stuck in Afghanistan. So, but anyways, it was so I was approaching from that every one of those soldiers, whether he was the grizzled sergeant major of the division or of the of the of the. Uh, of the group or whatever, to to the the the, the brand new PV two who who literally just showed up out of out of A school and tech school or whatever and and you know still doesn't know how to how to put on his uh, his brand new ACUs type of thing. You know each one of those has represented my one of my kids, and mm-hmm. I, I felt it was my job to make sure I could I could you know I could I could get up to the line where. You know, I couldn't reveal sources and methods, and you know, and and all that 
you know, cool secret, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi agency stuff. And then kind of lean way, way over as, as before, before my fat tummy, you know, pulled me over the line and made me, made me do bad things. But it was, um, that was the way I always approached it. And I, you know, I, I think Ed Reeder and, and his staff and later Chris Haas, when he brought third group over, um, they, they picked up on that. I, I know General Frakely and, and James Terry and, and, and Tony Tata, the, the three general officers in, in 10th Mountain, I, I, th- I think they picked up on it. And plus, I would never lie to them. If, if I couldn't tell them or if I didn't know, I said so. And you know, sometimes I... You know, is anybody listening? Um, I would, uh, I would say, you know, I can't talk about it. And then I'd pull him aside later and says, "Yeah, wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge. You, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are barking up the right tree. So let it go at that." And I, I had to, I had to keep that level of trust because as soon as you know, I mean, you right. lie to, I mean, these guys were my battle buddies, and I, I couldn't right. lie to them. The, uh, the task force was a little harder nut to, uh, to crack. And I don't think I ever really cracked it, um, which is fine because I'm not sure they, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze with them. They were um, a lot of respect for the Rangers and the Seals that were that the, that constantly rotated through, but they their agenda was very much uh, different from everybody else's. They uh, they did not do a good job of cross coordinating with the conventional or the or the oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, well, we 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 did we did a we did a we did a capture kill on this one compound. Oops, we killed some we killed some bad we killed some good people some bad people things like that. But it's not our job. You, hey, local uh, battalion from Tenth Mountain or or local ODA guys, you know, you you guys get to uh, you know clean up my mess and you know and, and, and that's make why, it all better. That's why a lot of people on the conventional side get a bad taste in their mouth about the special operations dudes because we go in there, we do the quote unquote night raids as they call them in, in the New York Times. And it makes it not legitimately. I mean, whether we, we do it right or we do it wrong, we go in there, we kill some people, and then we leave. We disappear on the black helicopters, and that conventional unit that's stationed in that area or an ODA ends up feeling the brunt of right. all of those reta- retaliatory IEDs and rocket attacks, et cetera, et cetera. Or just, or just the people shutting you out. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. you were you were just starting to establish people because, because you want to find out where the IED networks are, or who's 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 implanting the IEDs, where they're being built, where they're being assembled, and where they're being uh, implanted. You know, the local population knows everything. I mean, you know, the, you know, that's why. <laughs> what's the old? I remember in the early days, we uh, we wanted to put out some sensors, and so we, uh, you know, like you you can go to like Costco or whatever, you, those, uh, those outdoor radio or speakers that look like boulders, but yeah. don't really look like boulders or the things that you use to cover up those big green transformer boxes in suburbia type thing. So <laughs> the, the tech wizards built, built a few rocks to look like this. And we put them in our, a rock field. Well, good Lord. A couple weeks later, some Afghan boy shows up at one of the fobs. Hey, mister. I found this. Does this belong to you? Did you lose this? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll take that. No, 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 it's mine. You pay me money. I'm like, yeah, okay, God help us. That's awesome. That's all. The best part is that he brought it back. It was like, is this, is this your uh, spy gadget here? Right. You, you, want, you want this back? 
<laughs> well, he didn't know what it was. He just knew it wasn't something right, natural, right, and, right. and it must it must be from from the Western people. And you know, it was a chance to make a dollar or yeah, yeah. several hundred or a thousand, whatever. Oh my gosh! So, but you know, just on the on the relationships thing, I just wanted to mention this this quick anecdote. I have a, a, a friend who uh, was a Marine Corps officer, and he was one of those Marines that got and go. To, uh, he got to do an exchange with Delta and go over there and be an operator, or go through OTC, and then deploy with them. All that good stuff. And when he came back from that and came back to the Marine Corps, um, you know, all the guys are asking him, you know, well, what did you learn? What, what, what were the big takeaways? You know, what, what, what's the greatest new, you know, gadget that you strapped to the side of your gun? What's the new tactic that you use to enter and clear a room? And he said, you know, the thing I really took away from my time at the unit was relationships and the importance of building those relationships with the adjacent units, with the interagency process, because of the dividends they play down the line. And uh, that's, I just feel like it's kind of important to bring that up because, you know, they make the movies about the dudes blowing down the front door and going and entering, clearing the room. But sometimes it's those liaison operations that pay the most dividends for you at the end of the day. It, it really does. And, and, you know, also liaison with the host nations. I mean, as yeah. a, as a SF guy, you understand about building those relationships. And, and that was the one thing I always admired about 10th Mountain. They, uh, they really tried to mentor train the, uh, the battalion and, and higher staff of the ANA, um, because the C Sticka guys, um, the combined, whatever training command, um, for Afghanistan was, was an abortion. So it was not a, not a, not a good to do thing. Uh, when when you talk about Tenth Mountain Silverbacks and Grizzled Sergeant Majors, I have to ask: uh, Did you ever get a chance to work with Frank Rippy? Uh, you know, I don't remember name tapes. I remember faces and 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 getting yelled at. So okay. yeah. I, I I got my face ripped major, off a few times uh, for stuff that other other OGA guys did. Well, no, he was Sergeant Major Frank Rippy out of Tenth Mountain. I didn't know if you had met him or not. No, I I don't think I had. But I I remember one time I uh I'm I'm sitting in my little OGA office there minding my own business and uh my phone rings and it's Ed Reader. And why Ed had to use the phone, I don't know because I think I could hear him yelling from a <laughs> kilometer away anyways. He was pissed. So I uh <clears throat> I dutifully uh, you know, you know, made haste to his office where he uh had calmed down just a wee bit, but <laughs> God, I'm uh, you know I, I'm glad I'd established some level of rapport and trust with him before that because if not, it would have it would have been irrevocably harmed. But um, yeah, so uh, there was a, a total miscommunication, fuck up, however you want to put it, between uh, uh, an OGA um, location and and his ODA and uh, involving a local Afghans and things like that, um, they'd, uh, they decided to, uh, the OGA guys had decided to detain some, uh, some Afghans that the, o that the ODA guys were developing as, mm -hmm. as, you know, sources for, for their, for their operations. And, um, despite the, uh, the ODA captain going to the OGA base chief and, you know, explaining the situation to him, trying to be professional without getting, you know, cause they, they lived right there in the small little fob and, and, um, he wasn't having it. So yeah, I got my, I got my face ripped off. And, um, so I had to get on the horn to, uh, to station who then called the base and, 
the base finally like, well, okay, well, if you're telling me to do this, I'll let these guys go. But I just know they're bad. Well, if they are, they'll be bad again next day. And but let the ODA guys know, you know. But it was, you know, it was it was hard because, you know, every every ODA when I tried to meet the ODAs before they would uh, when they would come into Bagram before they would you know go out forward, and uh, or if they would rotate through or something like that and just say, hey, this is your nearest or your your, your neighbor OGA guy, you know, here's his personality. Here's here's what buttons you don't want to push. Here's his here's his uh, here's his good points. Here's his bad points. You know, here's how I think they can help you. And if they don't, well, you know, go through your chain of command. But I'll try to do what I can for you. You know, probably probably not the smartest. You know, usurping my my chain of command. But I, again, like I said, I'm looking at all those um, all those ODA. You know troopers as 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 one of my kids you know because my kids were wearing the uniform too and and i'd want somebody that could possibly make a difference make a difference so was that a common issue in your experience that there was tension between either the military or the sf forces or or the or the the military schwacking agency assets or vice versa i mean or, or a refusal to cooperate like was that a thing or was there what, did it happen not, often than not? It, that the case I just brought was probably the rare, rare instance. I mean, most I I, I think Reader had a pretty good handle on his uh, his ODA uh, his his team his team com, team captains and and team sergeants. Um, so they they were they 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 tag teamed the guys pretty well. In fact, in a lot of places, um, like when we went to Shkin. They were they were thick as thieves, so that's always the best better solution than an antagonism. Um, and with the conventional guys, not so much again because I'd worked really hard with uh, with the staff there at Bagram, as well as the different battalion chiefs, you know, out in uh, Organi and uh, and up at Jabad and, and down in Kandahar. Um, the um, so it was. Uh, the problem really was Dave was the uh, <laughs> with the task force guys. They uh, they kind of wanted to do their own thing a lot of times, despite having uh, programs where um, they would operate under our authorities and with our funding, but they would uh, they would refuse to uh, adhere to some ground rules. And, and when you say task force, yeah. are you talking about like JSOC elements essentially? Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I, I've seen it written as task force, so I'm just going to say task force okay. and, and hope that my jail cell's comfortable. So. <laughs> uh, let's get to well, some questions uh, real quick, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Let's get some questions. Yeah. yeah. No. And, and let me just point out. I just want to give a little uh, pitch. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please uh, go ahead and hit that subscription button down below so that you get notified. You hit the bell icon so you get notified whenever we go live. We're trying to be pretty consistent now about going 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday. Friday. Yep. That's, um, our, that's, our, that's our jam now. That's it. <laughs> and if you look down in the description of this video, there is a link to our first interview with Ron. A uh, few episodes back, you can go check that out if you like this one so far, if we're not boring you to tears. Uh, and there's also a link to our Patreon if you like what we're doing and you want to support the stream, keep the lights on here, go take a look at that. And uh, actually, it's as little as just a dollar a month. Honestly, one dollar a month from everybody would 
like it pay our rent, it keep us in Lafroy, it, it help us out tremendously. And you get access to the bonus segments we yes. film, which are like honestly, they tend to be thirty to sixty minutes long each. Yeah, so, and yeah. if you are a Patreon subscriber and the live chat or down in the comments, please. If you enjoy the content on Patreon, please mention it to other people. Like, let people know that it's it's good content. Yeah, if you give this little video a, a thumbs up, if you leave sure. a comment down there, all that stuff plays into like YouTube's algorithm and helps us spread the meme of the team house uh, <laughs> around the internet. Yeah, the 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 virus. The yeah, uh, the virus exactly. The, the infection. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, so Ian's asking, uh, were any of the three of you in Iraq during the Fallujah ambush in 04? Thoughts of the general atmosphere at the time? I, I wasn't. Oh, uh, no, I don't, I don't think I was. I, you know, I may have been, but the, the atmosphere was, like I pointed out, you know, the, uh, the population when we first took control of the country, they were kind of like, okay, you know, my daddy Saddam is no longer around, so Uncle Sam's now my daddy. You know, what do I do? How do I, you know, what's 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 going on? Um, you know, am I going to have electricity every day? Am I going to have fresh water supplied? I mean, the basic basic necessities. And uh, we, um, I don't know, I think we really, we weren't, ready for that and then of course bremer and um the uh, the army three-star who came in who got fired pretty quickly after that uh both were pretty pretty weak in in doing that and so the population was sort of like aimless teenagers you know they're sort of wandering around going you know somebody give me some guidance tell me what to do and and there was a lot of bad influencers in the in the marketplaces and in the villages you know that were not so much Saddam loyalists but they were just they like to cause trouble and or they were jihadists and uh, I mean we 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 know after a while I mean you know Iraq was like you know like the burning man for jihadist reunions everybody showed up and I know it's yeah. like it's yeah. terrible I mean you know we I mean I remember we were in Al Qaim uh, along the uh, Syrian Iraqi border and uh, we got we got wind of uh, uh, some Russian tourists had entered Iraq and were making their way to Ramadi and Fallujah. And um, they were Chechens. They were bad guys. They were, we, you know, I mean, they were, they were hardcore, you know, killers of people. And uh, so we're chasing them down the highway to Fallujah. And of course the U S army's got little checkpoints along the way to make sure that, you know, everything is basically harassing the population because nothing had really kicked off then, at least, you know, in, in that neck of the woods. And uh, so, and we're radioing ahead and of course you're, you're dealing with uh, multiple different units and, and you have to tell the same story and, you, you know, you, uh, try to establish rapport and, and trust over the radio or over a telephone line um, with some, you know, major or some sergeant first class explaining this. And you say, just hold them at the checkpoint. We'll take care of it all. All will be explained to you, you know. We'll, but so I literally we're, we're, we're catching up because I'm not driving. Um, I'm pulling security on, on, on the passenger side. and uh, But Mario Andretti here, he's driving on the road and, you know, potholes be damned. It's, it's not my vehicle. I don't give a shit about the suspension. And we're, and we're, we're coming up to these check. Of course, we're coming up to these checkpoints. We got to slow down because the last thing I want to do is scare some poor private into thinking I'm, I'm, you know, 
you know, Mahmoud, the, the, the suicide bomber. And we say, hey, did a couple of, you know, did a couple of white guys just come through here? You know, oh, you mean the Russian tourists? <laughs> yeah, the Russian tourists. Yeah, yeah, they showed us their passports. I says, tourists in a war zone. You suspicious? Did you check the trunk? No. Okay. How how long ago? Oh, just a few minutes ago. Well, you know, I'm talking to some corporal who, like, a few minutes ago could have been, like, really, dude? I got a I got a I got a can of Copenhagen here. You know, tell me honestly. You know, and uh, so, yeah. I was like five That's or ten minutes ago. I said, shit. Here you go. Boom. And and um, eventually they they get caught. They they get caught in Fallujah. I mean, but it was, you know, but we're chasing them down the road. It was like, it's just, it's one of those little silly things. You know, like you shake up, you know, we go El Qaim is, it's been a really long day and, and the vehicle's pretty well beat to shit by now because uh, of all the potholes and things like that. And, uh, you know, Bradley's do wonderful things to, uh, to asphalt roads. And, uh, so we, uh, we're, we're dog ass tired and, and the, the boss there at El Qaim says, so, How'd you spend your day? <laughs> so yeah. Chasing, chasing uh, other directions. Yeah. Uh, chasing jihadis. Chasing yeah. jihadis. Uh, I was in Iraq uh, so. in 04 during like that. I was nowhere near Fallujah. But Fallujah, in, in all the phases of Fallujah, uh, presented a problem throughout the rest of the country uh, because, it, it, I mean, a lot of times, like, it, it, Iraqis didn't understand why we didn't project more force. You know, uh, I remember... Why we didn't have the iron fist. Yeah, Yeah. I remember. And and to them, that was... was, There was nothing wrong with that. And that could have been part of the Sunni-Shia split, but uh, I remember, uh, you know, an Iraqi, you know, saying, you know, Mr. Dave, uh, you know, you guys have nuclear weapons. Why don't you just drop a nuclear bomb on Fallujah. And I said, well, you know, the United States doesn't want to hurt innocent people. And he goes, there are no innocent people yeah. in Fallujah. You know, and, and so they, it, it just, things like that really, in some ways, it diminished our our, our image as this. I, I remember I had a conversation with a, the SWAT team leader that I was working with in 2009 over there. And the conversation of the invasion came up and, you know, I made some sort of like very American comment, like, you know, it's tragic how many, uh, you know, Iraqi people died in the invasion and that, that this happened. And, you know, it, you know, it, it's, it's tragic that it happened like that. And he just looked at me and shrugged. He's like, America is strong. Why wouldn't you invade us? Yeah. I was like, Pfft. and that, that kind of mentality flies in the face of, of the political theory that, you know, I was taught at Columbia University sure. that, uh, about, you know, liberalism and cosmopolitanism and that people like you and respect you when you come up and shake their hand and are nice to them. That's true in a lot of situations. But in, in the context we're talking about, when you're going into these into these sorts of counterinsurgency environments, a lot of people respect strength. Well, you know, we, we've talked about this on the, on the show before a little bit about the sort of sort of the built-in fatalism in, in Islam, you know, the whole inshallah, you know, whatever God wills, right? Inshallah, you know, and, you know, you wonder how somebody like Saddam could stay in power so long, and a part of it was because, well, he's in power, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. That's sort of the way it is, right? Um, 
But uh, let's see here. We got we got a couple more questions. Um, oh, and thanks, uh, Ian, for the donation. Uh, Alex, thank you. Uh, we passed. Oh, Alex is saying uh, we passed 100 on the uh, subreddit uh, R Team House. Uh, can you talk about the coffee shop at HQ? Can they not look at customers, say names, or use cards as payments? Oh, he's, is he talking <laughs> about the Starbucks at Langley? Well, we have a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts. We believe in competition. Fancy. And uh, there, there, are, there are two schools of thought in the, in, in, in the headquarters building. You're either a Starbucks – well, there's three, actually. You're either a Starbucks guy or a, a Dunkin' Donuts person or maybe the cafeteria coffee. And then the, a fourth group, which you know refuses to set foot in either one because it's undignified in the agency to sit in a Starbucks, which is just like a real Gucci Starbucks down in Georgetown, and um, and you know, yeah, the the employees are they're they're cleared. I mean, they they have the yellow badges like the cleaning crew does, and and uh, I don't I don't think it, nobody uses their credit card there. So it's like if you do, you buy one of those with cash, those Starbucks rewards cards or whatever it is. And and uh, but it was you know I, I I will say I enjoyed going to the Starbucks. It was it was nice. All the Dunkin' Donuts had the better donuts, obviously. Are they so. allowed to look you in the eye, or do they have to keep their heads down? Of course they are. <laughs> Um, so what, yeah. what, what happens? What happens when uh, when they go John Smith, John Smith, and like ten ten guys come up to the counter? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good about it. They they just just like in a regular Star Wars, you know, just you know, Ron, you know, boom. There's your there's your triple cappuccino, mocha, latte, venti, whatever. I don't remember, you know. So you know what but. image came to mind is um, yeah. The Austin Powers, where uh, Doctor Evil has the Starbucks in his evil headquarters. <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I'm, not comparing, I'm not comparing the CIA to the evil headquarters, but but just the fact that S Starbucks is is so like everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, Why did we need to we need to bring Starbucks to Iraq? Starbucks and McDonald's. You don't have them there yet. No, because they have Seattle's best. They're it's actually not bad coffee. Um, Sorry, come on! I went to Green Beans all the time too. You know, I mean, yeah, you got to go to a Green Beans. Green, yeah, green Beans, the Seattle's best, and uh, the um, Hortons. Uh, Tom, uh, Tim Hortons. Uh, oh yeah, Horton. the the Cinnabon on uh, on the base in <laughs> Tel Afar. My last deployment, like we have a Cinnabon, really. Yeah. Well. No, the worst. The worst is the is the quadrangle in in uh, Kandahar. Oh, oh, I've never been there. Bagram had a, a pretty oh, good yeah. setup too. Well, not as not as bad. I mean, they had um, God, they had like a Ruby Tuesdays there at Kandahar. That's where they and, had oh, and also because the oh, Canadian forces were there, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of NATO people there, and it was, I mean, I. Uh, I remember Kandahar way back in the early days, right, you know, right after like Fob Rhino and things like that. So, but then I went down again and I never really had to go back. And then I went back in, in 13 and I was amazed at the, uh, I mean, it was, it was like summer camp, you know, you know, oh, there's a war on, oh shoot. I, you know, I can't be bothered. I have dinner reservations at Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> it, it, it was hilarious. Um, thank you, Alex, for the donation. Uh, thoughts on Army SF Special Forces disbanding 
Siftings. Oh, I'll let Jack answer that one. He wrote a nice article about that, and that uh, was actually well well reasoned and thought out. Jack, good job. Thank you, Ron. Um, yeah, I did. I wrote an article on my. Uh, I wrote it as a as a blog on my personal website. I figured that was a good place for that. Wait, and what's the the your personal it's, website? Uh, com. And I have I have some writing and articles and stuff on there, but I wrote kind of just I guess a, a, an opinion piece on all of that. So apparently the decision uh, is sitting with the Secretary of Defense right now, and I I believe I, uh, what's happening is they are. So let me start it oh, back one second. The CIF, also known as the CRF, uh, the I think Crisis Response Force. Before that, it was called the Commanders and Extremist Force. Each special forces group has one company that had the counter-terrorist hostage rescue mission, specialized in direct action, all that good stuff. Um, they are apparently losing the in-extremist portion, at least, of their mission. So all of these units, all of these companies were supposed to be, at least on paper, they were on standby for no-notice deployments anywhere in the world and could ostensibly uh, respond faster um, being forward deployed, at least some of them are forward deployed in Germany and uh, Okinawa, and back in the day, some were uh, the seventh group one was deployed to Panama, but they're stateside now. That was the idea behind it that they could get there faster than say some of the JSOC elements from Fort Bragg or Damn Neck. Um, so apparently, the Secretary of Defense mm -hmm. is looking at taking away that specific portion of their mission. SF will probably still retain direct action companies. But they'll be out of the hostage rescue business. They will be out of the you know no notice rapid deployment business. Um, so that's what it, what I think is happening. And um, what, what's the uh, what was the justification behind that? I, I think uh, again I th I'm saying I think because I wrote this as an opinion piece. I don't have all the facts. Um, I, I think it has to do with a couple of things. But one of them is they never really did that mission. Right. I'm not really aware of them ever doing in extremist raids or operations. I mean, maybe they, I mean, I know they've gotten spun up a few times in the past, but I'm not really aware of them ever actually doing that portion of their mission. So that may be the rationale. They look at it and they think we have a duplication of capabilities because the JSOC guys can do this mm -hmm. and have done it. Um, uh, but there's probably a lot of other things that go into it. I mean, maybe SF is deciding they want to, you know, really reinvest in unconventional warfare and get away from the direct action side of things. But I, I again, I don't have all the facts, so I think it remains to shake out and see how. It's an it's an extremely expensive. I mean, if yeah, yeah. if you're not just doing it uh, in name, if you're actually doing it, it's very expensive to maintain. It, because we're not just talking about CQB, uh, close quarter battle. We're, we're talking about hostage rescue, which requires a level of training and precision. Right. right. Uh, that is very, it's very hard to maintain. And the, the other thing, too, with that, with the, the in extremist portion of that mission was that uh, the JSOC guys, Ranger Regiment, they have dedicated air assets. So there are airplanes and pilots standing by in, you know, in, in JSOC's case, I'm sure the, the real answer is classified, but in case of the Ranger Regiment, we all know they can be wheels up in 18 hours, right? Having those air assets and those pilots, I mean, without them, you're not doing anything. Right. You're not going anywhere, right? right. 
Um, the SIF never had dedicated air assets. Yeah, they had um, fly space. It, it's a specific air rating. It's like, <laughs> it, it's like pres- I think the, pre- the president has A1A, and I think like the, the guys, uh, like the JSOC guys, it's like 2B2 or B2B. I can't remember the name of the air rating offhand. Maybe, uh, maybe you yeah, know, right? you're, you're the expert, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not. But I can tell you that, you know, it's interesting. You talk about ODAs and, and direct action. You know, everybody wants to be a door kicker. And yeah. um, it's, you know, it's it's a wonderful, it's wonderful to do, but it also, you know, never, you know, what's the first rule? Never be the first guy through the door, right? Um, so I'm traveling around with these general officers during my stint as COB Bagram, and, and we're at, um, I can't remember, is. It's a it's some fob cop that open and closed so quickly, but there was an ODA there, and um, uh, the general was talking to uh, conventional guys and and the A and A people because again they were always trying to mentor and and include the A and A and try to professionalize them as best they could, but the ODA captain sought me out and he was he was he was pissed. He says we've been, we've been forbidden to go out on on unilateral you know direct action missions. And I'm looking, I'm going, well, yeah, I mean, aren't you supposed to be taking the uh, ANA guys out? You know, this is all before the commandos, the ANA commandos really took off. And and sort of like, you're supposed to advise them and let them go do this, get that experience. He says, yeah, but, but that's what we want to do. That's all we want to do. I go, you're supposed to, you know, develop, you know, I'm trying to go back to the, you know, the, the whole FID UW mission thing and like, uh, I th- I think you for you know you're you're so caught up in the in the uh, in the in the adrenaline rush of of DA missions that you're you're forgetting your your core competency and and you know I I I think I I, I tweeted uh, my my brief opinion on on your you know commenting on your your uh, your blog post uh, Jack is that I really I really hope and pray that the regiment does. Yeah, embrace the, the UW FID mission again because, you know, every time they stand up and, and tell the national command authorities, you know, the president and the sec def, why, why, yes, we can go do this raid. We, we you know, they, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm sure you, they all can and they do it really well, but it's not their core competency. And, and then they complain that they're exhausted and then, you know, they have all sorts of other problems with retention and, and trying to explain expand into the f- the fourth battalion in the group th- right, the yep. jedberg battalion yep. thing well, so it's you know they, maybe this is this is that shot of, of medicine that they need to yeah. uh focus the, the other challenge with that is like when you're talking about hostage rescue then you're generally talking about sort of a swat action right you're, you're talking about it a, a 12-man team can op, can do that mission in a permissive environment right in a permissive environment they can do a hostage rescue or whatever uh, or you know a direct action, and there were times where they were doing unilateral special forces company level operations. Really? Yeah, that that happened, um, and and that's not doctrinal. That's not yeah. how. Yeah, and that's and that's the challenge is that when you start talking about you know uh, direct action in a non permissive environment, mm-hmm. you know when you're talking about JSOC elements, they have you know. They have support. They have security. They have QRFs. You know, they have all these all these pieces in place that enable them to to do these things in a non permissive environment. It's not just it's not just a handful of guys out there on their own with no backup. Um, but I think that SF was putting themselves in these situations because they didn't 
didn't have those assets. You know, they were right. And I'm not because I'm not saying they can't do it. They're capable. Obviously, they're very capable dudes. Uh, it's it's all the extra stuff that, that, that protects those guys that are going in and you know and whatnot. Right. Right. You know, there was a, there was an incident with an ODA. They um, they were in, in central Afghanistan, and um, <clears throat> the the big thing was then everybody had to grow the the big deployment beard, and you know the the, the thicker the better the beard the you know, the more the more you know the more you would get accepted into your local Harley club when you got back to the states. So um, they're they're out doing um, a. a a, a patrol in their in their uh, up in their gun v's and they're they're driving around and unfortunately one of the soldiers gets killed so the uh, chris haas is in command of, of of third group he goes down with the, the group sergeant major and and um, a few of us accompany him and he's um he's interviewing the the oda and trying to figure out you know this this injury was avoidable the, the fatal injury was avoidable. Um, he said, why weren't you wearing your, your Kevlar? Why weren't you wearing your helmets? And uh, God bless the ODA detachment commander for being honest. He said, well, we keep our ball caps on because the, uh, the chin straps on the helmets ruins our beards. And the Sergeant major who, uh, like to shave his head his his every day because I think it made up for what little hair he, he, he didn't have or what hair he didn't have anymore anyway so he uh, he looked at he looked at Chris Haas and said well I guess we know what we're going to do now uh, we're leaving in about an hour uh, all your beards will be shaven taken off you will be clean shaven from now on you will adhere to Army grooming standards and you will wear your your protective headgear as per regulation and uh, you know. And that went out throughout Siege of Sodaf after that because wow. that sort of thing just was, I mean, you know, if you're going to have a beard, I got it, great. But don't sit there and go and be a fashionista and right, say, right. I got to wear my cool guy ball cap and um, because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, ruin my, 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 my beard. So it was, um, yeah, First it was. All this talk about beards and ball caps I find rather triggering, Ron. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Um, but no, I, hey, I saw all your pictures in your book. <laughs> well, I, I, here I am right now. But um, but no, I understand your point. Um, you know, if you need to have. Well, you're talking in a war zone. There's, there's. Right, right, I right. mean, you, you you have protective gear. I mean, the, the the task force guys in the early days in Iraq used to just wear Protex. The uh, the the, the skater the skater the skater, skater snowboarder helmets, the rock climbing helmets you know had zero ballistic protection so they they did a couple raids and and you know operators got got shot in the head and the protect did nothing to slow down the the ak-47 round so that's why they all wear kevlar now you know it's again you know it's just sometimes it's ego overrides judgment and that's right you know it, it's so i mean believe me i'm i'm all about wearing a ball cap because you know, wearing a helmet, a flight helmet, a, a Kevlar, you know, a, a battle helmet, you know, especially with a battery pack and nods on it. Good Lord, you know, I get a sore neck, I get a headache and, you know, I'm, you know, plus the, you know, your, your, all your kit and stuff like that, that you have to wear. It's, you know, it's, I think it's I'm just not, a question of, uh, you know, which rules do you bend and knowing when to bend them is yeah. really what it comes and down to. And some of that, some exactly. of that is in part experience too, in the sense of, 
you know, TBIs, you know, and, and head trauma and stuff like that what was not it. It wasn't an issue. Bef you know, it wasn't something people we didn't really think of it worried about. You know, yeah. prior to our still understanding. We're still gaining understanding of what yeah. causes it and how to treat it and things like that. But and you're and you're right. I mean, I remember the early early days in Kabul. I mean, it was, I mean, good lord, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, now we got it. We got a couple hours between missions. Hey, let's go down to Chicken Street, which is where all they used to have chickens and and but where all the carpet stores were yeah. and and we we'd buy carpets. I mean, we'd walk around. I mean, we'd wear a uh, Kevlar and carry our our, our Glocks, but uh. You know, we were just, you know, we were mixing with the population and we were, you know, it was, um, it's pretty wild. I mean, fast forward to a year later, I mean, good Lord, I had to write a trip plan and have, you know, a three vehicle convoy to, you know, just go to the airfield from, yeah. from the station. So it yeah. was, uh, there's a lot, you know, it's a, you know, the early days are always the best. So yeah. Ron, I did want to hear, uh, is there another question? Yeah, we got, we okay. got two more real quick or, uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, thanks, Alex. Um, what are the skills the 10th Infantry learned that separated them from the rest? Uh, we only have one mountain division, and we've been uh, in a mountain war for 20 years. <laughs> well, yeah, and of course, they're stationed in the flatlands of, of, uh, of uh, upstate New York, so it makes a lot of sense. But they um, you can thank Senator. Hmm? They get the snow, though. They they do get the snow, which which is sort of a mountain qualifier, but you know that's okay. Um, yeah, you can thank Bob Dole for that when they when they brought back his 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 uh, his division that he served with in in Italy in in World War Two. That's that was the compromise position they made to open up Fort Drum and and put the Tenth Mountain there. Um, <clears throat> what what is they had a they had over a year and a half to prepare for this deployment, and uh, they the uh, I can speak more to the intel people that that uh, Colonel Morrison prepared. He sent a lot of them to uh, to Pushtu and Dari language schools. He gave them a lot of cultural uh, training and things like that. Um, the uh, the different battalions, uh, including the uh, lo the logistics units, which uh, General Frakely operationalized. He made them a uh, you're not just going to sit around and be and do warehouse ops. You guys are actually going to run convoys and, and, you know, be in charge of fobs and, and run, you know, combat like missions out, out and about. Uh, so they got a lot of training and they, uh, and they, they learned the cultural stuff and they, uh, I don't, and it was an attitude. They, they had, they had a, a, a positive attitude towards it. Um, you know, and this, again, this was, this was 2006. So they got alerted in, they, they got notified in sometime in, in, uh, late 04, I mean, so we're talking the early, early days. I mean, you know, fast forward now, it's like, hey, we're on the patch chart to go back to, right. eh, yay. Well, it's so also, it, it's, I mean, the units prior to that, I mean, you're right. They had the advantage of, they were getting all the AARs. They were getting, you know, whereas other units were just kind of dumped there with minimal, <coughs> you know, first in and stuff like right. that. You know, they, they well, had the well, advantage of... You know, learning all this stuff, yeah. and, and and they had great leadership. You know, they, they took advantage yeah, of that and, and they definitely. It all up. I mean, CTAF CTAF suffered from from poor leadership and and, and poor preparation. I, I think their combat unit was uh, a uh, a brigade out of the 82nd, and you know, I I love I love the 82nd Airborne Division. My son's a platoon sergeant in it. Um, 
they uh but you know they're paratroopers and they constantly want to reenact uh normandy and market garden and 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 they want they want to they want to they want to attack things and maybe in the early days in afghanistan that wasn't the right tactics or operational plan and of course the other thing is you know, is that we have to keep in mind that you know if as we as we you know open up our site aperture a lot is that uh you know iraq had begun and a lot of people weren't quite sure okay now that i've i've got afghanistan what do i do with it i, I had a conversation with general frankly once um he was one of the things is when uh divisions get ready to go do this or division headquarters they they go do a a washington dc uh they spend about a week in washington dc meeting meeting with all the uh major interagency uh units cia nsa dia state department so on he said he mentioned that he had uh, some meetings at the pentagon i said well did you meet anybody in like an osd uh in policy or something like that he says he says i had i had like two minutes with rumsfeld secretary of defense rumsfeld who wasn't didn't even remember that I was going to Afghanistan and, and didn't even realize that we still had a thing there. So it was kind of, you know, he was yeah, it was, and you know, and that's. So he, they didn't have a lot of top-down guidance about, you know, what is, what is the commander in chief's intent? You know, the four stars intent, from uh, you know, combined forces command Afghanistan. Um, and ISAF to uh, what? What do you want? What do you want us to do? What are we running combat operations? Are we, you know, training, mentoring, you know, uh, working side by side with the A and A guys? I mean, what are what are we doing here? You know, talk to me. So uh, they got a lot of. Uh, they suffered from, and you know, if any of them are listening and they want to, you know, yell at me later because I'm wrong, that's good. But uh, from what I gather, they. They took what minimal guidance they had, and they did the best they could with what they had. So, mm. but the previous unit, like CTAF, like I told you, was uh, they were they were weak. They were their leadership was weak. They uh, they weren't really engaged in the mission. I think they were they were more placeholding. Interesting. <coughs> um, uh, Ian, yes, uh, and and thanks for the donation. And T Bar. Thank you for the donation. Uh, can Ron speak to the situation where it was difficult to decide if a problem set was best suited for the military or the agency? Good question. Wow. Um, and who would make that well, decision? Well, it, it would it would depend on the on the type of problem. If it's um, like in your face tactical problem, I'm who's ever who's ever facing it would would take care of it. If it's a, a bigger issue. I, then we would we would generally sit down either you know the the local oga chief with, with the senior military officer in that fob or or battalion commander would fly in or whatever and and they would try to you know hash hash it through if it if it needed to get elevated obviously it did and so it um you know it really depended on the problem and, and what the what the issue was it's i mean that's kind of hard to answer that hypothetical but um I mean, there were issues where um, in Jalalabad, where um, we had problems with uh, between the, uh, the 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 base, which moved from one location to Jalalabad Airfield. Um, they moved from in the city to Jalalabad Airfield, and uh, Chris Cavoli and his battalion had already occupied part of the airfield, and and the and the OGA guys. <laughs> You know, I, I tried to tell him, I says, hey, you know, these guys are already here, so, you know, they're kind of the landlords, and they can help you, but, you know, but 
again, the officer that was in charge of that, he uh, he walked in and says, I'm a Title 50 guy. I don't need to listen to you, you Title 10 dicks, and you're going to do what I say. So next thing I know, I'm I'm standing in front of, you know, Frankly and Terry and Tata, and Chris Cavoli's on the phone. He's, he's a three-star general. He's commander of U.S. Army Europe, great, great officer. And he is and, – and Cavoli's normally – even killed as they come. I mean, he's diplomatic to the to the core, but Cavoli's pissed. I mean, he did learn a few swear words in Ranger School, and I got to hear them all, and multiple times. You know, he was pissed, and you know what could I do? I'd sit there and go, I'll I'll look into it. I'll da 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 da. But it was um, eventually we reached an uncomfortable truce. The agency guys just did what the hell they wanted there, and. Um, and the and the army guys just sort of had to suck it up, and it it was one of one of my failures. I always thought because I wasn't able to ameliorate that situation to make it make it better, and uh, that was that was always bad. So left a bad taste in my mouth. One of the things I uh, I did want to follow up on too was you mentioned your second deployment to Bagram, where you were with uh, Admiral Bill McRaven. And you were present when the, uh, what was it, the Maersk was hijacked. Right, the Maersk, Alabama, yeah. Maersk, Alabama the container ship, right. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I was there uh, working with the task force on, uh, on something else. And uh, um, the JSOC commander back then, you know, McChrystal started it. They would alternate between Iraq and, and Afghanistan where they would put their, where they would have their flag. McChrystal, of course, spent 99% of his time in, in Iraq. McRaven was more uh, even-handed about that. So he's there, and, and we're working this pro- project, which is never mind. And uh, it's just... Oh, what's uh, that? Uh, what? No, no, I can't talk about it. Yeah, I can't talk about it. So it was, just, it was just one of those things. You kind of roll your eyes going, you know... Is that, is that like the Mike Bloomberg math? Everybody gets a million dollars. Kind of pro, somebody thought of it like that, you know? It's like, oh my God. So, but uh, we, uh, so the Marsk, Alabama happens, and um, so uh, McRaven's got most of his staff there. So there's a lot of VTCs back to, back to Fort Bragg, back to JSOC, to the Pentagon, to the uh, to the to the White House, and um, other other players. Uh, and so McRaven's back and forth, and a lot of times he'd have to kick us out of the out of the room because he, he he would have to talk one-on-one with the national security advisor and sometimes even the president. Oh. So, and then afterwards he would he would give us a little what his guidance was. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, anyways, so he finally gives the the, the go, and and <laughs> you gotta love you gotta love JSOC. They seem to have this unlimited video budget. I mean, make, would make Hollywood jealous because we get to watch the uh, the freefall drop of 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 the of the boat drivers of the SWIC guys. Yeah. Well, the boats, the SWIC drivers, and the seals, and they're all flying. And you know, so we we have we have a camera bird. I'm going. This is great. This is like a Howard Hughes production. You know, of Hell's Angels. I'm I'm watching all this. You know, it's like, you know, it's. it's yeah, and you can even, I'm even talking with my hands now again. This is bad. <laughs> I'm going to need more scotch after this. The, um, so, uh, so anyway, so, and we watch them all fall into the ocean. I mean, you know, plop, plop, plop. And then the video cuts out, 
And maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes later, uh, a video cuts in again and on one of the uh, Navy vessels, one of the ships that is the um, going to be the, the, the command post for the, uh, for the SEALs that dropped in. And um, so <clears throat> there's, there's Scotty Moore, who I've, I've known on and off for years. Uh, he's, he's the captain of this. And he's, he's got that brown GI towel, and he's drying his hair like he just came out of a, a gym workout. He's got on uh, a nondescript Nomex flight, green flight suit. And <laughs> he's going, sir, we're, we're ready to go execute right now. I got my guys right. We're, we're going to go right now. And McRaven goes, Scotty, Scotty, calm down. Let's, let's take it slow. Let's think about this. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, Scotty was always very, very aggressive. And, and uh, so, I mean, but it was funny. So from there on, we, we were always like big brother looking over the shoulders of, of, of the SEALs there on the scene about what was going on. And we, we were hooked into all the comms and things like that. So it was... Um, it was interesting and, and kind of, you know, weird at the same time because occasionally McRaven would, you know, cl- click the talk button and, and ask a question or, or, you know, and thanks for your donation, Tate, and uh, things like that, you know, go, you know, type. But no, I'm serious, but he would ask a question and, and here's, a four, here's a three-star sort of interfering with, with a tactical commander's control of his battle space. Yeah. It was just kind of interesting but and then of course when you watch the tom hanks movie you see it from a different perspective and you go "Eh, okay but it was it was just interesting just to watch um mcraven's um the way he 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 commanded and leadered his uh through that crisis with not so much with his his subordinate units because you know that was all good but with you know negotiating with the uh with the White House, because there were there were numerous plans being proposed from the beginning of the crisis till the one that was accepted and was executed. So he would always come back with additional planning guidance, or like the White House is worried about casualties, or the, you know, it was it was the Obama administration. They wanted you know ironclad guarantees on everything, and right, and right. Uh, Mc, McRaven, you know. Did did his best to assuage those those concerns. So, I I thought he he, you know, the thing is what I learned there was that he not only had to manage the crisis and and, and lead his his subordinate units and 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 uh, people and coordinate their resources and come up with a plan, but he had to manage the expectations of of the civilian leadership in Washington, right. and that may have been the more difficult challenge of them all. And that was. I, I always admired him for that. Was that because President Obama and the National Security Council really had like this expectation that it was all going to be nice, clean headshots on the bad guys and ticker tape parade for the hostages coming home? I mean, that must have been very difficult for Admiral McRaven and for the you know the guys working the ground game to to make those kinds of promises. I I, I don't I don't know. I think that's what it was. The way McRaven would intimate the the gist of the conversations that he would have they they wanted those ironclad guarantees that mm-hmm. it was either going to be you know surgical clean and 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 there was no chance of any you know oopses or anything like that um but he you know he like i said he had to he had to he had to guide them to the reality of where 
right. where he had to keep them. So it was um, it's probably his his biggest leadership challenge, I think, at that time. And, and how uh, I mean, from your perspective, where you sat, I mean, how did that operation actually shake out? I, I mean, the, it was the details, at least we learned, were pretty interesting uh, as far as how they executed. I mean, a well executed operation, without a doubt. Oh, it was. I mean, you know, the, the good thing was, I mean, he knew all the players, all the senior players, because it was, you know, the, the, the damn neck guys were coming out to do it. So he knew all the personalities. He knew their capabilities. It, it wasn't like he was, you know, tasking the, the Ranger Regiment to do something and and he'd have to look around for his, his Ranger expert to uh, to let him know what was what was what. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, it was uh, the, the plan, of course, always starts big with lots of lots of explosions and lots of lots of assets and lots of bullets flying and then it 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 goes through all sorts of branches and sequels and twigs and 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 things like that and it finally distills down to what what they actually could get away with because they wanted to keep the footprint small and everything like that. i'm going really these these three four starving somali pirates you know, or you know, I mean, they took what three navy ships, and you know, the C seventeens had to fly, you know, to drop the boats and everything. I mean, and it, it was required a decision pretty intense. From the White House to to decide how to deal with three or four starving Somalian pirates. That's really interesting. Right, right, yeah, because I, I remember my my son would tell me war stories between his time in the navy and, and the army when he was on a, on a navy frigate doing anti-piracy patrols in the in the gulf of yemen and, and arabian gulf arabian sea area there and things like that and you know talking about interdicting these dows you know that mm-hmm. the small oh no no we're, we're fishermen you know these aren't ak-47s really you don't see anything so it was you know they had some fun but it was i as you say it was amazing because because the vessel had re- returned to control of the crew so the vessel it was just the, the captain was the captain phillips was the only one that was endangered or being held hostage but um i mean it could almost goes back to your your discussion and your reasoning on on the abolishment of the of the uh of the sif or the or the crif is they had all the resources to uh, achieve this multi-dimensional multi-domain right. maritime anti-piracy hostage rescue you know whatever type thing so it was yeah it, it's interesting i mean because you know andy milburn uh you know you talked about that you know the, the idea of leading up mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, d- dealing with leadership above you and i mean i i feel as though since sort of clinton's uh, uh like zero failure or what was it uh like, like this this idea that if you make a mistake in the military or something goes bad on your watch that a oh, zero defect the whole zero defect zero idea. defect yeah that you know you make a mistake in the military you're out you're done uh, especially if you're an officer or whatever I mean even during the Carter administration it, you know they, they were freaking out that the Delta guys were going to kill Iranians when they went into the embassy and rescued our <laughs> hostages I yeah. mean there were there were stories that like. He was suggesting, you know, shoot the terrorists in the shoulder. And Charlie Beckwith was like, uh, hey, that's not how it works, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we have the same problem with our police force. And I have this theory uh, about the Lone Ranger, you know, that, 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 I mean, most people now haven't, didn't grow up with that, didn't see it. But, but it carries on with the idea that, like, 
the Lone Ranger never killed anybody, right? We grew up with this hero who oh, right. who can shoot shoot the gun out of people's hands. Like Batman can throw some bat right. ranks. And, and, and that's what a good guy is capable of, right? A good guy is capable of taking down a bad guy through superior skill and not actually have to harm the bad guy. So now we have this sort of idea in our culture that, you know, if somebody's come rushing a police officer with a knife, that they can either right. maybe not shoot the knife out of his hand, but shoot him in the leg. They can like they shoot him in the leg. Walker, Texas Ranger, roundhouse kick. Yeah, exactly. Hand. Yeah. Um, and because that's how that's how good guys win. Good guys don't have to kill people. You know. That's right. Because Chuck Norris will show me how. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, you know, it's it's interesting because you know you, one of the questions I had in, in one of my uh, one of my leadership classes was we talked about this sort of thing, and I said, you know, when George Marshall was the chief of staff of the army to to FDR, you know, he was pretty open. He says we're gonna, you know, he he didn't mince words. He he, I mean, he 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 just was straightforward. He he told the president, you're gonna expect casualties. This is gonna happen. This is the bad. This is the good. And I asked the question with that preface to my, my, my leadership class. I says, do we have leaders now in the military or in, in the intelligence agencies that are willing to be that forthright yep. to the decision makers to say that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I was, I, I did graduate from the course, but it was only by the hair on my, <laughs> it's like, because I was, I, I was not supposed to ask the impolite questions. And, and and it was something I observed that, you know, I always, you know, you, you try to see, uh, I've seen way too many political generals and obviously politicians in, in you know, in the agency and, and in and elsewhere. But it was, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, but anyways, the, uh, the three generals I mentioned from, uh, from 10th Mountain, as, as well as Ed Reeder and Chris Haas, you know they they were pretty forthright and honest. They uh, I, I observed them when they talked to the Codells or the or the congressional delegations or the uh, visiting staff staffers who were even more terrifying than the congressmen and senators um, because they really do have the power of of telling the senator or the congressman what he what you, what you, this is what you need to know type yeah. of thing. Um, they were pretty forthright and honest, and um, so we uh, we had some interesting discussions with them. They. They were like, well, that's not what we've heard elsewhere. So I said, well, this is this is the truth as as we see it from from our vantage point, where we sit here in in, in Afghanistan. If you, back in D.C., everything looks different. Yeah. Well, I, I really, I, I mean, we could talk all night. Again, um, I, I really only had like one other big question to ask. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, what, no, I just want to thank Graham. Graham, thank you for the donation. He didn't ask a question. Um, Oh, actually, he did a little bit further down. Uh, he wanted to ask um, Ron if you knew uh, Doug Lau, L-A-U-X, uh, at all, or if he has any thoughts on his book, Left of Boom, about counter-IED work in Afghanistan. I, I do not know that gentleman, and I have not read that book. Um, I, I worked with some of the counter-IED people in, in, in that were associated with 10th Mountain. They... Um, they, uh, it was an interesting. Again, it was a, it was a nascent effort back then because the ID threat was just beginning to really come come to the forefront in Afghanistan. Of course, then later in, in Iraq, even more so, and also with the explosive form penetrators in Iraq, um, and then of course the I the whole you know joint IED uh, whatever uh, Jaido you know came yeah. you know. <laughs> so yeah, the, 
the, the contractor money hole uh, in in DC. The um, the uh, but the, uh, the 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 thing was the IED guys, the counter IED guys in uh, in in Afghanistan in 06, We we had the 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 clue and the uh, the couple of the other electron systems to try to pre-detonate and we we emphasize the uh, the, the tactics techniques and procedures about when you come to culverts and bridges you, you stop and you do the the probing and you know all the you know, the stuff that so you move at the at the at the pace of snail going to your objective um the uh but uh the uh some of the id guys then that, that would go out and do the uh the id exploitation to discover you know because like any like bomb makers leave fingerprints they leave you know everybody has a signature you know like he this oh this this guy does like a three twist on his wire type of thing or whatever and and uh but they tried to uh form themselves into an action arm so they were like a an ied qrf they would go out and 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 do raids and so i think that lasted for about three three seconds and and uh and the poor colonel that was uh, it was it was one of those wet dreams he had and it was it was kind of fun to see him get chopped down to size and in front of everybody because he would lord this over everybody and yeah general frankly knocked knocked that out of the uh, out of the park that was funny but because he was he was also interfering with other operations elsewhere, so it was, but it, you know, he was he was the most important guy in country. Sure. Uh, and Alex just asked, um, favorite memory of working with State Department DSS. Any plans to have Cody Perrin on the show? Uh, and when will you have Oops, have an Oops All CIA edition episode? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I practically well, asking us to play like strip poker here. Uh, hey, hey. Here. yeah, I mean that might be a little bit much. Yeah, no, no strip poker on this end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, li no, we I live don't. near we Deadwood, don't. South Dakota. I'll, I'll hold a Bill Hickok hand. <laughs> but I do have a DSS vignette. Um, so uh, Khalil Azad, the uh, the current special ambassador that's negotiated this agreement with the Taliban um, during the first Bush administration he was like the senior special dude for Afghanistan for the Bush administration before he became an appointed ambassador there and everything like that. so he flies in on a, on a on an aircraft uh, not one of ours and uh, it, there's his DSS team and and I'd never met these guys before but you could tell right away they were these guys were they were they were good they they knew what was going on and the dss the 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 team chief come up and and met me because we didn't have a whole lot this is my first tour when we were like pulling triple duties on everything and i gave him the 411 and and he um they had their little suburban they went and drove to the embassy and <laughs> Uh, a little while later, uh, he calls me up on my little cell phone that we, I, you know, it's remarkable we had cell phones in those early days there in Afghanistan. And he says he's, he lost Khalil Azad. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I need your, I need your help finding him. He, he just walked out of the embassy and he's just, he's walking around town. I says, he didn't tell you guys this or he didn't, he doesn't have anybody with him. No, he just has his aide, and I met his aide when they'd gotten off the plane. His aide um, very um, reminded me of like Beaker from the Muppets, very officious little guy. And and uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know how to describe. But he comes up and says, um, 
because the, they called him an ambassador. So he says the the ambassador needs to use needs to use the facilities. So can you can you point out where the, where the, where the where the business class lounge is? Now this is Kabul Airport. I mean I've got eroding earth revetments around me. I've got acres and acres of destroyed Russian aircraft that have been pushed off into a minefield that are waiting to be rehab, uh, you know scrapped or, or pulled out and then the demined and everything i mean it's i mean i'm talking the craters of the moon i mean you're lucky the tarmac's in one piece but we're surrounded by this this earthen berm and i look at i look at the the a and i go well there's the berm you, you knock yourself out you know pee anywhere you want and he just looked at me like he was shocked and oh god you this is the ambassador i go this is afghanistan yeah. he ought to be used to this Knock it off! Shit. <laughs> Enjoy the suck. Yeah. Anyway, so we all we we mobilized a bunch of, of some of our other guys, and we went out with the DSS guys, and, and we found him, and he was he was mad because he was he was getting to know the man on the street stuff. I'm going, okay, whatever. I mean, if something had happened to you, you know, it would have really looked bad. But I love those DSS guys. They were they. They seem to be very focused on their on their job and, and very professional. So, a lot of respects for them. Um, and any plans for Cody Peron? 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 Cody Peron. Oh yeah, I interviewed Cody once before. Um, no no plans right now, but we we can arrange that in the future. Yeah yeah. Um, we're, we're like scheduled like. Right now, like six weeks out. Yeah, yeah, and we have our, our like list of potential people that I'd like to reach out to. It's pretty long, so no promise promises about doing it, you know, in a timely manner. But we, we'll get there. Yeah, we're I, we're yeah we're almost two two. We we just got booked one for June, so we're very forward planning right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, like the next six weeks yeah. are so, are, are so, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then after that, we'll start lining some other people up. And I got to talk to you off air about uh, some other interesting folks that will, you know, I, I think be interested. Stay tuned. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. And actually, that brings us to the next episode next Friday. And that's what I wanted to ask Ron about. So, Ron, uh, next episode, we're going to have Michael Ames on. He's going to be here in studio. He's the guy. He wrote the book. I know you know this, but our, for our viewers, he wrote the book American Cipher uh, about Bo Bergdahl, how he wandered off the base, how he got captured, his captivity. I'm about halfway through reading the book. And so I, I'm asking uh, this question to you, Ron, not, not to start a food fight, not to instigate anything, <laughs> but really I just want to have a um, – to develop some interesting conversation points as we roll into the next episode next Friday – what questions do you think I should ask Michael or what questions do you think Michael should be asking people like you? <laughs> well, when, uh, when I, I heard the book was coming out and I, I, um, I, um, I got it and I read it <clears throat> and I, I reached out to Michael and, um, he never interviewed me and he, uh, he didn't seem to interview and Michael and I've had this discussion. So here, this is like round six of the food fight. So no worries. No, I, I don't um, need to, to kick but, anything up. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's all done in a very, you know, mature manner. I mean, there's not no, no name calling or anything like that, but it's just, it's just a disagreement about 
research methodologies and, and that sort of thing. But the, um, what, uh, you know, it seemed like the people he interviewed were confirming the conclusions that he'd already made. And when I spoke to him about what we just talked about in the, in the last, uh, episode the last broadcast i was on about the the wandering off the thing in the uh, in his book he either ignored it or discounted it and um um and plus he got some he got some basic facts of uh, of the uh, of the agency wrong and uh so it was um oh come on dave you can have a little more and uh, uh but uh so uh yeah it was you know i I, I guess part of me was miffed, insulted, because he hadn't reached out to me to get a, an, an alternate theory to the crime. He um, and a, a couple of the people that he'd uh, he he interviewed for sources, they uh, they attacked me on Twitter and everything. It was like, oh, really? yeah, okay. Oh, I was whatever, you know. I was like, Twitter's like the playground with with chains and knives. It's not a big to do, you know. It's yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, the um, I, I I don't block people. I just mute them. You know because you like you know talk to the hand. I can't. Even, I mean, but but Michael was Michael was you know, he he seemed to want to do better. But the book was already out and everything like that. And I guess my primary objection to the the thread throughout the whole book was he made Bo Bergdahl somehow the poster child for the entire failed afghan adventure in in to kind of paraphrase his words and i thought that was not a he probably could have chose a better uh somebody better for to use that for uh, an example uh, i you know i mean i i talked to my son at the 82nd now i realized bergdahl was at the uh, the airborne unit up in uh, up at fort richardson alaska but i mean the the you know, none of them. None of them thought he was a good soldier. I mean, there's some, some people that have moved into in my son's unit from that unit, and uh, they, uh, you know, they have nothing. I mean, Bergdahl's the kind of guy that if you had enough time, you would have probably chaptered him out of your unit because he was just a poor performer. And so it was. You know, again, I just I think he uh, he he put too much emphasis on on. Bo's character and, and making him out to be some sort of misunderstood, you know, innocent child of, of you know, of the evil military industrial complex or something like that. I, uh, you know, Michael, I'm sure you're listening and you're probably, you know, getting ready to send me, you know, you know, a bomb or something like that. But, and I'll listen and I, I but I just, I just found it interesting that he, his research I thought was, was flawed. So bottom line. I, uh, I, like I said, I'm, I'm halfway through the book. I'll, I'll finish it before we have Michael here next week. Um, but I mean, I think what really comes through, at least in what I've read thus far, is, is you know, like you said, Bo Bergdahl is somebody who never should have been in the army to begin with, um, and he is, you know, I, I think you'll you'll see when we talk to Michael also, Dave. He is Bo Bergdahl is that guy like you knew him when you went through basic training. I knew him when I went through basic training. There's that one kid where it's like, dude, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. how did you even get this far? Like, you, you should not be here. You're not mentally well. You yeah, know? You're, you're not in a good place. And I had to join up before I got drafted. <laughs> well, in his case, he wanted to join. He, he was it's an interesting personality. It's like the over earnest, like I'm going to be like a, a samurai warrior kind of guy. But 
has delusions of grandeur. Sure. You know, like his mind is like, he's in a very alternate universe. And when you understand his upbringing, I think it, it begins to explain a little bit of that, but still. It does. It does. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I'm, I would hate, hate to have been his platoon sergeant yeah. or his, uh, his, his team leader, his squad leader, uh, because God, I would have, you know, the kid would have been in the woodline doing burpees from sun up to sundown. Just, just because. Yeah, and I, I had a guy in my platoon in, in Iraq that was like that, and I, I did have him doing, you know, ground drills in the gravel uh, until someone made me stop. Yeah, uh, that's that's a whole other story I've told in well, my book. There, but there are those people who, they, yeah, they shouldn't. It's be there. And, against the law. And, and the, 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 I mean, one of the challenges, it, it, I don't know how it is now, but for a while. It was very difficult to to chapter people out. They would be considered leadership challenges, and instead of like, okay, look, you're done, and, and they would move and, them and to another unit. Came in during the surge, yeah. When they were just taking anything. Yeah, you know, they would move them because, like, okay, well, he's a leadership challenge. Obviously, his team leader and his squad leader and are failing him, right? You know, so let's right. move somewhere else where he can flourish, right? Um, and I don't know if that's what happened to him, but you know that was the mentality. Yeah, but Bo, Bo was not going to flourish in, in the military. Yeah, that, that just yeah. wasn't going to happen. There, there are, there's, a, there's a good job in the gym to hand out towels, dude. Go, go yeah, there. Exactly. What, uh, what were people? Were there? What were some of the specific? Or why were people attacking you? Simply because you questioned the research methods, or for other well, reasons? Well, I'm trying to remember. I mean, it's like it's like one of those things, you know. I like, eh, you know, I mean. Um, they uh they didn't I, they were sort of defending Michael because I was I I, I I I like I said I, I said you know you didn't interview me you interviewed people that were really on the outside you didn't interview General Scaparotti you didn't interview you know any of the any of the real players involved you you had a pre you know like it, it's like a bad investigator um, I know you're guilty Dave. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna find evidence that proves that, yeah. and you know it's instead of follow the evidence where it leads, instead of you know Michael saying I want to I want to know what this whole Bo Bergdahl thing, he's he decided I think early on that Bo Bergdahl was innocent. Victim of the system. You know miss. Right. This is, you know, he was, he was, he was going to be uh, my 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 poster boy, my my symbology through this this tale. I'm going to weave this tale using Bo as my protagonist to uh, show how 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 bad the entire Afghan, you know, program strategies, you know, adventure, whatever uh, phrase yeah, you want to use. That, it. that that I would disagree with. That I, I don't no, or I would agree with you that I don't think Bo is the the lens through which you can view. The war in Afghanistan. That that would be right. No, no. That would be a bad take, as the kids say. Yeah, I, and you know, and, and so I I uh, I did not write a review on Amazon on Michael's book or anything like that. I just I let it go. I figure yeah. I just like whatever. You know, it's like well, and, you know, it's, this isn't about poisoning the well for next week. Like we, I mean, it, well, it's it, the point. It, of, like I want to get to the the truth of it. So, and that's why I ask different people and you know try to generate some of these right. these different thoughts yeah. on it and see what well, comes out of that. Yeah, 100%. well, you know the yeah. I mean, you know, again, I'm like I'm multi people removed because when I relayed, you know, the NCIS agents debriefed us and what they discovered and what was in their report. And I mean, the 
find the truth, you'd have to interview some of his platoon mates and things like that. And I think they've been on, on enough media, yeah. you know, when, yeah, yeah. when Bergdahl got released that, you know, their feelings are pretty well known. And, and so I, it's like, it's, it's a controversial subject and, and, sure. and, uh, you know, Bo's, you know, hopefully Bo's made peace with himself and he's, he's faded away into the woodwork somewhere. So, I mean, the interesting thing is the, the, um, I, I wonder if his, if him and his family, his father and mother have, have actually reconciled. I'm not sure they, they have. It's, there's, there's been some, some debate on that. He had, he didn't go home or he didn't go back to them or something like that. So it's well, well, well interesting well, question you could ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, uh, Dave, you got anything else? Um, I know, we, I know, we could go on all, yeah. all night. Uh, oh, we Rob, could. Are we, are we going to do a, a, a members only uh, do, do segment? You want to? Do, do you have? Uh, do you, you think you got something else you want to lay on us? That uh, well, we can talk about the corn gall. Okay. Okay. That sounds like a plan to me. Corn gall, Alec. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, guys, not, not uh, nice. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us guys, live yeah, tonight, watching the show, asking questions and participating. Really appreciate it. Uh, we've been here, you know, with Ron for about two and a half hours, more than two and a half hours. Um, please make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Um, please hit that bell icon so you get notified. Give this video a little thumbs up. Write some comments. All that helps bump up the video in YouTube's algorithm and gets more eyeballs on it. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you go down in the uh, description, you'll find a link to the first interview we did with Ron a few episodes back. Uh, and some of the other people we mentioned tonight, CIA Ops Officer H.K. Roy, U.N. Weapons Inspector Scott Ritter. Uh, who were some of the other ones we mentioned in, the, in this? We, we mentioned uh, Andy Milburn, yep. uh, SOTIF commander uh, fighting ISIS in Mosul. I mean, a whole bunch of cool interviews in there that kind of reference and factor into this interview we uh, have been doing. We mentioned, well, uh, J.T. Patton, we didn't really mention him, but the price of giraffes on yep. the open yep. market. And, and <laughs> all, the thing that people have to understand is like all these inter interviews and all these personalities are all intertwined with one another, whether they know it or not. Right. Uh, so it's very interesting to look at it, you know, as a gestalt. That's my $6 million word for nice. tonight. A gestalt. A gestalt. Ooh. A, a, well, if the like Columbia education wasn't wasted. Hole. There you go. A part of the greater whole. I like it. I that, like that, it. That's GI Bill paying off right there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also down in the description is a link to our Patreon if you want to support the stream you know we really appreciate it go take a look at that and uh, I don't know that's it Ron do you got anything else that you want to uh, plug while we're here you mentioned you give leadership courses I mean how, how can people find you out there oh no no I, 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 I'm a student I don't I don't give anything gosh oh okay. gosh no I don't I'm just, I'm just, I'm a quiet country retired gentleman now. You've got something to offer, Ron. Don't sell yourself short. Um, but uh, what's your uh, Twitter handle so people can find you on Twitter? Oh, it's um, was it Ronald J. Moeller? You know, it's okay. just my name, my full name with my middle initial Moeller. Yeah. So, and, and there's a picture of me kneeling in front of the Peshawar Air Base sign. So it's me. And uh, I'm Jack Murphy RGR on Twitter, Dave. I'm, I'm Jesus not. Christ, Dave. <laughs> I don't know. It's so embarrassing. He's on it's Twitter so, so much. Uh, uh, find me on Twitter and you'll find Dave through me. Yeah. Okay? I mean, that's the best we can do. Yeah. God um, damn it. 
Uh, also, <laughs> speaking of social media, um, we do have a, a Reddit. subreddit. We have a, a subreddit, our, uh, the team house. Also down in the description, you'll find also it. Also down. Uh, it's... Uh, I think it's Alex right has done a really good job of setting that up. Um, it's not super active. If if you guys get active on there, we'll get active on there in the sense of yeah. if there's questions or input or feedback, uh, Jack and I both check it out. Uh, yeah. So uh, we don't want you to think that uh, that we're never there. We don't look at it because we do. Um, and that's that's about it. Thank you very much, everybody. We really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you, Ron. Thank you for joining us again. Yeah. And we will. You're very welcome. We'll do the bonus segment now, and that'll be up on uh, on Patreon later this week. Thanks, guys. Good night. All right. Ciao. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.